tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, it won't cost you to make a call. And uh, Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, more than 500 people attended a meeting in Cashel last night. 74 asylum seekers are due to arrive in the town tomorrow. Ali is live for us in Cashel and we'll be discussing that in just a few moments' time. Our listeners share their views on the latest uh, on the Israel-Palestine conflict. Our fears over a cashless society uh, taking over traditional banking being over-exaggerated. We'll hear from some of our listeners on that. We'll talk about addiction following the death of Matthew Perry. We've global politics with Thomas Conway and uh, we'll be speaking to our physiotherapist Neil Dennehy. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We will also play match three in the second hour of the show and give you an opportunity to win some fantastic prizes. Now, as I said, a meeting took place in Cashel last night to discuss the prospect of 74 asylum seekers coming to the town tomorrow. They will be housed at the Cashel Town Hostel on John Street. The building was being used as emergency accommodation, but that will now cease. Over 500 people attended the meeting in Holland and Fenla last night. It was organised by local activist Liam Brown, who spoke to me a little earlier on this morning, and I began by asking him how the meeting came about. Well, Fran, um, it kind of came about very quickly. Obviously, that we got this news on Friday morning was the first I got of it, and it began to filter through the town throughout um, Friday afternoon, so people were starting to wonder, was it true? Um, what information was about, it, was, was about it? So nobody seemed to know. So uh, I kind of decided on Saturday uh, when I came home from work that, look, I think people really, we need to we need to find out what sort of opinion there is about this in the town. We need to gauge the level of the opinion. So I kind of wanted people to meet on the plaza on Sunday evening and maybe see what could be done or could we find out any more information. But um, as, as we kind of went out Saturday evening, we realised that we couldn't really go out onto the street on, on a Sunday evening in the dark, you know, in case it was, first of all, bad weather, sure. but also yeah. in case it was going to be a public hazard. So... I spoke to some people in Hall They offered the hall in Hall and we said, "Okay, we'll have a meeting in Hall Instead, it obviously was the more obvious place to have it in town. Um, spoke then to some of the local representatives and asked them would they come and speak to people. Uh, it was very short notice, and in fairness to the ones that did come, they came at short notice. But I also spoke to uh, the other county councillors in the area, and look, they just couldn't get there for whatever reason because they had other commitments. They did give apologies, and that's kind of how we ended up in the hall last night. And and what about your understanding, particularly following the meeting, Liam, of what exactly is happening and who is coming and what kind of numbers? Well, we kind of were, we were told first of all in the email that came from the department that people have seen on Friday morning. There are seventy four males coming to town, and they're international international protection applicants. Um, they're not Ukrainian. They're all all men. We have no idea where they're from, friend, but I suppose we can deduce the fact that they're likely to be African, Middle Eastern, Georgian or Albanian. Um, they're due to come Tuesday morning. We don't know at this stage what time they're coming at. We don't know who's bringing them here. We don't know who's going to meet them here. 
we really have very, very scant information from anybody, and it's very hard to get information. Plus, another thing I, I really didn't like, and I think this made people very, very angry last night, is the news came on a Friday, and we all know if you go looking for information on a weekend to a, a yeah. council office or a government office, you're not going to get it. So people were very, very angry over that as well, you know. And the other uh, public representatives, Liam, what what did you hear from them? I mean, were they none the wiser either? Well, they told us they were none the wiser, Fran. Um, some other information had kind of come out in the meantime since then that there, there was potentially more information about this than than some people are either saying they knew or maybe they didn't know and they, they genuinely didn't know. But uh, the reality is that the hostel has been used as emergency accommodation by the council for the past, I think, year and a half, two years. And that came up last night. Where were the homeless people going to go? Where in there already? But I got an email from the county council office yesterday telling me that the council knew two weeks ago that this was going to be changed, used, and the homeless people in the hostel were, go- hostel were going to have to move this morning. So somebody knew that the hostel was going to change use at least two weeks ago. Um, the local councillors and the local TDs said last night that they didn't know, but I don't know about that. So, look, very little happens in councils, or I'd imagine very little happens in councils without somebody uh, letting somebody know about it. But when we went to the meeting last night, it seemed there was complete ignorance about the idea that um, it was going to be changed today, whereas the reality is, is some people knew that it was going to be changed today for the past two weeks. So we're hearing up to 500 people in Hallonafela last night, Liam. Um, what were you hearing from ordinary people who turned up there last night? There was. Um, uh, we took some names at the meeting last night, and when I counted them last night, it was close to 500. I don't know, not everybody signed the book last night. They were gone away before they even realised the book was there. Um, look, 99% of the people last night... Uh, First of all, were confused. There was anger, but I have to admit it was a very, very civil meeting, and I think the people at Cashel should be commended for that. We were able to have a meeting for two hours without anybody really um, getting too emotional. Now, there was obviously a lot of emotion in the room, but people kept their emotions in check. Uh, look, the first and foremost thing is, is fine. I do not think the people of Cashel want this. Not this time, not this amount of people, uh, not without the sort of information that should be given that was promised by the department over the past year and a half. This this situation has been happening up and down the country. I got messages yesterday from people in different parts of Ireland who have faced the same thing, and they've said that the biggest problem they've had is the lack of information from the department. There just seems to be a case of, let's put people in and we'll worry about the consequences afterwards. Uh, that's what people at Cashel were worried about last night. They were not told how many... Were, well, they were told how many were coming, but they were not told... I mean, where 75 people are going to go into the, the, the building next night. We don't know, and this is the big problem. I think this is what's really annoying national people as it annoys people up and down the country. The simple lack of information, the lack of consultation, and this idea that, well, just put up with it and suck it up and, and, and take it on the chin. But the people of Cashel have no intention of doing that. They're not one to be happy about this at all, Brandon. So what now then, Liam? What's, what's the next step? Uh, you know, I mean, was there a committee formed last night, or how did that work? <clears throat> Sorry, man. No, there wasn't a committee found, formed out of the room last night because, to be quite honest, man, it's simply too short notice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we found out Friday, we're on a weekend, we had a meet on Sunday night, and this is supposed to happen Tuesday morning. However, we had a fantastic contribution last night from Donna Davern, who's the chairperson of the John Street Residence um, Committee. And, I mean, Donna spoke last night about what the residents of John Street have had to put up with in John Street for the past four years, not just since news went out this weekend. I mean, some of the stuff that's been happening in John Street has been absolutely horrendous. And 
I myself even said last night to Donna, I didn't even realise myself the extent of it, what they have to put up with in the, in the mm. street. And there's older uh, residents so, on that street, of course, uh, well, Liam. Well, Fran, you know the street yourself, yeah. you're from town. It is an old street. Most of the residents are um, elderly, like, yeah. uh, you know, they shouldn't have to put up with this, and they certainly shouldn't have had to put up with the sort of stuff that they've been putting up with for the last four years. And now the idea that this thing could go on for God knows how long, Fran, because you generally when a drug provision centre opens up, I mean, you see around the country, some of them are open for 10 years with people waiting for... Waiting for um, decisions on asylum status. So this isn't a short-term thing. This this could go on for ages, but no services put in beforehand to deal with the sort of issues that you're going to have. And, I mean, there's issues around language, there's issues around uh, GP care, there's issues around mental health care. None of that put in uh, issues of what people are going to do because, I mean, myself and yourself, and if we were in a room for, together for a half an hour and looking at each other, we'd, we'd be fit to yeah. pull each other's yeah. hair out. But yet... I'd imagine clubs in the community, uh, organisation, when it would be expected, oh, you've got to do your, your, your own bit. But, I mean, there's no funding available for that. There's none put in place in the first place. That's the sort of thing that we thought consultation should be should be done beforehand to let people know that they could be looked after, but that wasn't done. So as for where we go now, Fran, I spoke to Donna last night. Um, we will give, in the first instance, as much support as we can to the John Street Committee because they have a lot of work done about this uh, already because of the problems they've already faced. And now what I would be hoping for this morning that there's potentially an injunction put on the, on the move and stop this this morning until we get more time and we have a bit of breathing space so we can get more information from the department and from the various different organisations that are going to be involved here. How that's going to happen, I'm not sure because... That's obviously a legal route. We've looked at the planning uh, around this. Now, a year ago, the Minister Malcolm Noonan said that direct provision centres wouldn't need planning permission anymore. And he did that because of what was happening in different places. But the, the, those laws didn't exempt what are called protective structures. And as you know, because John Street is such an old street, the house itself is built in 1830. It is a protected structure. So there should have been no change of use. We'll be speaking to the planning department this morning. Why are we doing this? And uh, there's people then talking about an on-the-street protest, Fran, and I believe there's a very, very good chance there will be an on-the-street protest, um, hopefully a peaceful protest, and to, to possibly stop people going into the building. There's no point in making two... Trying, there's no point in trying to talk around it. There are people who want to stand on the street, Fran, and, and stop this, and I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But, like I said, again, we're caught with the lack of information. We don't know when anybody's coming. We don't know are people going to arrive on at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and People wake up Wednesday morning and suddenly there's 75 extra people in town without any consultation with the community. So it's kind of fluid, Fran. I'm not going to tell you I know what's going on completely because I don't. Somebody does know. Somebody did know what was going on and that information was not given to people for whatever reason. We all have a fairly good idea why it wasn't given because there was an expectation, oh, let's get these people in, let's walk away from it and let Cashel deal with it. But... People are actually very, very angry about that fact. Liam, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you. Good morning to you. And that's Liam Brown who spoke to me earlier on and Liam, a local activist in uh, Cashel who organised uh, that meeting in Holland Afela last night. I'm glad to be joined now by Deputy Matty McGrath who was in attendance last night. Good morning to you, Matty. Good morning, friend. And thanks for dropping into us uh, today. You were there last night, but before that, uh, Matty, can I just ask, when did you become aware of this? Actually, which is ironic, we were in Cashel for an awards uh, event organised by the Cahill of the District Declan, Council Declan Burgess. Lovely award, community activists, the community people and organisations 
and individuals like Dylan Quirk Foundation and others. And just on the way to that, about half six, I got um, an email from the from the, the, the this section in the Department of of, of Housing. So, uh, given us all this outline, but there was grievous errors in that. Apart from the lack of information, um, they were telling us that they had, you know, checked and this wasn't interfering with the council. The, the council, and this is not quite policy, but the council have been using that hostel, and we've heard of all the problems. And indeed, I've been there at times in John Street. There have been many issues, but the council have been depending on that hostel. Even people who are on this program, homeless people, uh, were were put up there, and the kind of it's just like an unwritten rule. They were, they were using it full stop. The Department were saying that they weren't. They checked. One I saw the correspondence with you. They, you they they said no. They said no. Look, just to tell you, I mean, they're, they're playing games here. But just to pick up on what Liam said and come to Middle for the meeting last night and holding it. But no, we didn't know. And to be fair, he was kind of saying that some people knew. I certainly didn't know. But I do know this, that this is going on with two and a half years. I've been challenging this in the door and elsewhere. This policy is daft, sporting and, and, and insane. To think anywhere that you'd put uh, 74 males into any, any house... Like Liam said there, but four or five of us into a house for a week, you know, and uh, with language barriers, you name it, the barriers, and do that on this lovely um, street in Cashel and uh, John Street, elderly neighbours, business people, good people. They've been tormented there for four years. I was up there one Sunday morning at a meeting a couple of years ago because they had a very, very unsavory incident there. So, but this policy has been uh, pushed through the door by Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, all the parties, including Sinn Féin. Not a word out of Sinn Féin. And I have challenged this a number of times to, to all kinds of um, allegations of voracious. So we need to have a, a check here and pinch ourselves. We just can't manage with the numbers that are coming in. And the way they've been doing it then, um, putting me into people with no information, no news and no, and no uh, engagement. People temporarily would be welcoming. Look at the problems with Morris Gray at the moment. Unbelievable. And surely we learn from that. I spoke to Councillor Jamie Morris yesterday and he's well aware of what's going on in our tip. And look, we need to be have engagement, consultation with the local people, local public reps and have respect for people because it's driving a wedge between but, people. But and there's no obligation on the department to consult with local people. But that's where it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, look, look, I saw the issue with the Templemore uh, voluntary housing situation going to Board Panala. Apparently, and I support all voluntary housing associations that do tremendous work. But you need engagement with the people first. You've got to get the people on side. Even if you're a private person doing a development, you'll best talk to your neighbours and inform them. Not have a, you know, a clandestine, because the planning system here is very cloak and dagger. Uh, here we are again, and it came up last night in desperation, people saying, because it's a listed building, maybe we'll be able to stop, the planning is wrong here. I went out to Lismore, this happened, the finest building in the town, the old hotel, and sure they broke every rule in the book uh, as regards planning, but the government and the all voted through uh, legislation that allows uh, for, doesn't allow for anybody else, for our own homeless, allows uh, the, the, the individuals to offer buildings to them, forget about planning for two to three years, we'll start that out later, that situation is is an is a only accidents and incidents waiting to happen because greed comes in. Then I mean the people running this got fifteen million off the state last year in in funding for the states all over the towns in Manhattan they've destroyed them. I know the family, I know some of them. They have destroyed these places because they're doing this for profit. And what do you say to the government when they say, look, we're obliged as part of the union, we're, we're, we're obliged to take in people? We're obliged to look after our Irish people first, in the first yes. instance. We have obligations then. What about Hungary? What about Poland? 
they're obliged but they haven't taken them because they want to look after their own people and if you don't start at home in any business organisation you're going to have difficulties so that baloney but and, and I would challenge the media too they're not covering this and the fair duty and tip FM you're covering it but most of the media don't want to know about it it's narrative why, why do you think that is? because it's a narrative here that uh, first of all the media are too close to government full stop we see RT in the mess they're in and now they're going to get another 24 or 5 million no problem the shenanigans are over and semantics it's we need a whole new situation with media here, questioning media. Look, we have gone all over the world as NGOs and nuns and priests and everybody doing voluntary work. And we do it here in Ireland as well. And families have taken in Ukrainian families and all. But it's a system here, bulldozing these kind of situations on beautiful towns, tranquil towns, a bustling town like Cashel as, and all the business people and the community organisations and the people there and the investment in the, in, the, in the palace which was badly needed and you know and then to do this sure it, it puts a wedge between people and uh, officialdom so I have written to both Minister Darrell O'Brien Minister Housing Minister Joe O'Brien and Minister Roger O'Garman and I'm very disappointed with Minister Roger O'Garman because he sent out uh, a tweet in uh, eight or ten different languages tell people all over the world come Make fear fall to Rove Goody, uh, Aaron. Come, come, come. And that's untenable. That's but, but now there's a rollback. Uh, Which we're told by both the Taoiseach and Tarnish in the last um, 10 days that we're, we have to re-examine this. But this is going on in tandem. This is casual. This is going on in another 10 castles as we speak. And this is the problem. As I said, take Ross Gray. So you have to have the people with you in any organisation or anything mm. you're doing. And um, th- there's kind of a suppression of any... Uh, but then it would be, and let me play devil's advocate on this, Matty, it would be a case of not in my backyard then, wouldn't it? I mean, any consultation would result in people saying, no, we, we don't want to take in asylum. Look, that's always delegation, but nonetheless, they're good people in every town and I, I take um, Boris Kane, and I'm not familiar with them, yeah. but Councillor Morris told me yesterday, they did roll back there, they set up a committee and I'm very disappointed that there wasn't a committee formed last night. I asked during the meeting because I have put a call in to Joe O'Brien this morning, Minister Joe O'Brien, uh, for to meet a group, but who am I going to get him to meet? I mean, I can't meet 500 people. There should have been a committee set up last night of people that would be, that you, we have a contact with us. It's fine to criticise us politicians. I went to the meeting, no problem going to the meeting. Everyone knows my stand on this for two and a half years. I have no problem with that. And I'm not a, an unwelcome person. But the big difference here is they have taken away a hostel that we have used to home our own homeless Irish people and some maybe other individuals as well that were out of, out, out, down in their look. So they've taken that away now to house uh, um, people uh, from abroad, from Timbuktu, as I said last night. We don't know where they're coming from. And God helped them. They have been forced into the situation. Some of them, we don't know, 74 coming, there could be 70, there could be 74 good people, we don't know. But but we have the issue of thousands coming in. I've raised this in the door numerous times. And the first three months of 2021, I think 3,160 uh, came in from Albania. There's no more there. And they can't be arrived in Dublin Airport with not, not, a, not, not, a, not a document of sign. They had them obviously getting on planes and, and they don't, they come here then. They shouldn't be allowed into our country or be in a holding centre, as someone said last night, like they have in Australia. The other issue then is, is people are, are you know, are, are, they're coming here now, it's kind of, um, it's a tourism history within Europe. They're in France and Germany and places and even England and they're not being uh, accepted that they've been moved on and they're coming here. Why wouldn't they when we have Minister O'Garman sending out the open arms welcome without consulting people or anything else that they're welcome here and, and language barriers, you know, medical centres and indeed Dr. David Mandela's night an appeal for CAM and we all have to be CAM here but 
this is not, it's a powder cake. And it's really wrong, it's ham-fisted. It is, but I'm sure you would appeal for calm as well, because course, that's, that's extremely Of course I'm appealing for calm. Yeah. And the other thing is, we've touched a diminution of the Gardaí. We saw again the weekend figures that there are a bit more people leaving the Gardaí now than, than mm. they're being recruited. Cashel stations only open a couple of hours a day. And in fairness to the Gardaí, they have dealt with incidents that were there in, the, in that hostel and had to arrest people out of it and evict people out of it because of horrible anti-social behaviour and horrible trespass on other properties and all kinds of issues. So, it's a bad history here and it's a pity and that was, a, that was on our own, not with the people that are coming in from abroad but the policy we have here is absurd that we are open borders, welcome these people and they criticised Poland and Hungary and did all regularly parties of the hard left. And well, they were by right-wing right-wing countries, aren't they? By right-wing governments. Well, that's yeah. interright as far as I'm concerned but they've been elected. In fact, the Prime Minister in, in, in uh, the government in, in, in Hungary has been elected four times now. Mm. He's looking after his people, looking after the families. I mean, if you can't look after mm. your First. Much maligned around the world, though. But sure, that's the yeah. media again are maligned. I mean, much maligned. But I've not. I have had engagements with his ministers, his people. I've seen policies they have there, uh, there that look after families, look after supporting families, and taxation policies. If we fail to look after our own people, we shouldn't be in politics. or shouldn't be doing anything else. And that's where Ireland um, is failing. Are you because of your experience of this around the country, though? I mean, let, let's get real for the people of Cashel, Matty. Yes. I mean, they're, they're not returning on this, are they? I mean, you know, oh, this oh, is going to happen. Oh, who's not returning? The, the, the department is not. No, returning. no. I what I had last night from I'd say six hundred people because five hundred signed a, a book, so there was lots of people that came and went. And they're not returning either, and they're good people in Cashel. Cash is famed, you know, and they welcome this up there for everybody. They mounted the daycare centres, the, the Burberoos, the whole different you know, the sporting clubs. You name it, it's a bustling town. Great organisation, tidy towns. Got any time I pass, I see Paddy Downey and his team out there. And, and all the business people welcoming. But sure, they can't be treated like this. They're taxpayers, ratepayers, and there must be consultation and there must be engagement. If they came with 14, maybe, into the hostel... Uh, instead of 74. I mean, you might deal with them that way and start small, but bringing in a bus and a half load in the middle of night, what, what does it do only in gender And fear? did you get any indication in, in your correspondence with the department that, you know, there will be extra services put on or these no, people will look after? No, not a minute. As, as I told you, I was shocked with the lady who rang me from the... And not, I won't give her name, but she just told me, sorry, Deputy Minister asked me to ring you. This section are tasked, the public servants in this section of the parliament are tasked solely with getting accommodation wherever, from whomever, to house our international uh, um, newcomers here, uh, people coming here looking for asylum and getting nothing else. And I said, God, it's a pity that you're saying the parliament, some other section of it wouldn't have the same attitude to home house our own Irish people, 12,400 or something, 3,000 children in the last 12 years. I mean, how can we have such a... So that's putting, you know... Other people mm. before our Irish people. Yeah, and I, that's wrong as far as I'm concerned. I presume you speak about this in uh, the Doyle again, but I mean, I've heard your contribution to the Doyle uh, on on similar issues, and um, it's not it's not popular anyway. That's for sure. No, but I'm not in politics to be popular. I I, I like to deal in the real world. I'm, I'm a human uh, person with, with, with Christian values and values to look after people and be fair. But the Doyle has become a very very serious echo chamber up to in recent times, and we have no opposition, none only a couple of independents uh, to many of these issues. It's a very serious situation. Like, well, you know, man, Sinn Féin are out there getting ready for government and they're totally in favour of this policy. And any of their own members, some of them have come to me 
not elected people, some were elected, and if they, they've criticised this, they got their membership in the post the morning after, just to, to be, uh, we no longer want you if you have that view. That's a very bad day. You were discussing Dan Breen here last week, and the books and the fight for Irish freedom and the record wave here. Not for that kind of uh, intolerance and kind of uh, deafening and, and, and suppressing of ordinary people. This is bad in any situation. Mm-hmm. You need to have understanding. You need the national coral kale and you need people to engage. And the Irish people and the people of Castle will engage. I will be most engaging, but not if is, this is done. So this morning the option is to go for a high court injunction and a judicial review. Uh, they cost money, as you know. The only other option, we don't know, the bus, when are they arriving, we're told tomorrow. Absolutely no consultation with us. You asked, did they consult the services? I don't believe they consulted anyone. As I told, the the single single, um, view when these people dealing in the department find accommodation. I put that to the same person. If I have a four-bed house on and I'm in trouble with the bank, would you literally buy this off the vulture funds? And so they would. This is what's going on. And then you have the greedy people that want to buy these. Uh, places just for money. They're not interested in looking after people. I visited one or two of these places uh, and saw the conditions that these people are expected to live in. Appalling. Appalling. Maybe 12 to a room with maybe um, with rooms divided off with perspex sheets. Getting in. Which, which is very, very yeah, get, 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 indeed. Get, I, must, I must leave it there, man. No, but getting in, friend, getting in um, it, plastic bags with, with yeah. curry and chips inside them. My goodness, it's shock. Vending machines for the rest of the day. So that's inhumane. All so, right. Um, I know before you go, you wanted to... Uh, Send so no, out good wishes to a mutual friend of ours, to Stephen Grace. Yeah. Stephen Grace, I yeah. know he's been uh, recuperating in hospital and has undergone different issues for the last uh, while. I want to express my complete uh, support and encouragement and get well to Stefan. I look forward to him getting back into the daycare centres and all those places that he gives so much joy to uh, with his music and his, with his colleagues as well, going and playing those places on a voluntary basis, especially at Christmas time. So... Stephen, I said, keep the chin up and and, and look forward to meeting you. All right, Matty, thanks for coming in to us uh, today. We'll take a break. Back with more on this in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, we've been speaking about uh, that story, the 74 asylum seekers coming to Cashel uh, tomorrow. They will be housed at the Cashel Town Hostel, and I'm joined on the line now by the owner of the hostel, and that's PJ Quinlan. Good morning to you, PJ. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, PJ, when was this decision made to house these people in in your hostel? Uh, I'll just give you a small bit of background to it, really. Uh, I was contacted in the middle of July by the department to, to make contact to, to discuss it. And uh, they looked at the building, and then they came down, they measured up the rooms, the so on. And there's, there's a lot of toing and froing because it's a very cumbersome you know, because they've done a very forensic thing regarding mm-hmm. planning, regarding what was happening, fire, everything was done, everything was, was covered. And uh, the decision was actually made at say, two weeks. Uh, by the department that they would they, they would they would issue me issue a contract through my agent agent who who were who Ellen Ryan in in, in my life. But but no, they they approached you on this, PJ. Oh, they? they they approached me directly. That's right. So again, actually, they obviously are looking for accommodation across the country, and uh, they've been using hotels, they've been using apartment blocks, everything. They've converted to convents and. But my my, my my building has has a fire certificate and has has everything above board regarding that. Yes, and we have we have space, and so uh, 
I was actually obviously busy in July, so I didn't get much of my time to, to it. And August, the same story. So it's only in the last eight, six, seven, eight weeks we got, we got, got going. As you know, so it's, it's supposed to be happening tomorrow. They've issued a contract for 12 months. And um, and actually, I, I, I'm actually working on the basis of self-pacing. So, so I'm, I, I've actually worked with a local a local um, grocery here in Cashel Hall's Daybreak, and they're getting 45 euros for groceries every day for everyone's day with me. And I believe that most of the people who are coming to the international section is, is the phrase that you, the most of you Ukrainians. Uh, there are supposed to be 74 um, adults, men and women, um, because I've heard that the, the, the social media has been going on about this. Yes. Coming from Yemen and God knows where. And it's, they are international protection. That's the phrase they use. But I'm, I believe they are Ukrainian. And I believe... And are you saying to me that all of them are Ukrainian uh, then, people? I, 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 I'm like Liam and Matty. I'm in the dark as well. Because I won't mm. know until they get the email saying this, they're arriving at what time. And that's the way it works. And, so, and, so, so, yeah, yeah. and you, you mentioned social media, PJ, so I'm sure you're aware of the feeling around oh, the yeah, town yeah, at that meeting yeah, last night. Yeah, what what do you say to the people of Cash who are very close? Oh, I, I, honestly, I, it's like one of those stories that people are very agitated by it because actually what's coming out on social media, even from it's, it's, we're in the city season now regarding politicians because they're all seeking an election next June and there's going to be lots of you know stuff like going on regarding actually worst-case scenario. But, but, but across the country, there's been 8,000 Ukrainians went to the country. They have been housed, haven't heard much about animosity, but the Ukrainians causing trouble. But again, I, I don't know this today, but the, the Gardaí have planned, so these problems, the Gardaí have planned themselves, you know, but, and the Gardaí have, right. we'll work with that as well. You know, but, but, but as far as, as you're as concerned, as, these, uh, from what you know, these yeah. are Ukrainian people largely. I, again, that's my understanding. As well. that's that's right. actually, okay. my, my understanding actually is that they, 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 they all have work visas to go work in, in the town, are working, but my understanding is well that these have been in the country for for a number of weeks, and they they, they also they won't be staying with me full time as far as they will be actually they will be actually able to leave me and to go back to Ukraine if they want, and they'll be obviously maybe some of my friends in Dublin, Cork, and Galway, and they maybe have left me for four or five days. So there won't be seventy four people sitting around the fire in in John Street uh, with, but you know, mm. but that's that's the way it is. But I like. To go back to a small bit of history now, friend, I actually dealt with Yugoslavian refugees in 1999-2000 for two years. But back then it was much more cumbersome for me in that we had done three meals a day. And at that stage they were only getting £19 per head. These guys who are coming in now at the moment are getting full social welfare, to my understanding again. If they get a job, they have to have work. And they're getting actually an allowance for food because I'm not, mm. I don't provide meals. But I have a big self-catering kitchen here. And again, help themselves, and I, I will make them as welcome as possible. And I hope that people get to realise who they are. They're not, not people with three heads, but ordinary people coming coming to this country because of a war, a war situation in Ukraine. That's my understanding. But and and PJ, again, would you would you answer some of the other statements as well out there that uh, Irish people who were using your hostel as a accommodation that might have been homeless yeah. or in unfortunate situations yeah, yeah, that they've yeah. been evicted to make room for these people? Again, like the way it works with that is that. Like in the last eight, four years, 90% of my business has come to Booking.com and Hospital World. We've also dealt with the Bury County Council to, to actually accommodate homeless people. But they'd be always on a seven-day basis. The council would issue a letter for seven days and I'd accommodate them for seven days. They might reissue the following week and say, this is our seven days. And we'd always say to the people who are staying there, if they were from the council, as long as everything runs smoothly, there's no problem, we, we, we accommodate them. 
Well, if somebody actually had causing trouble, the difficulties for other residents, or our guests, we, we can't we can't uh, work with them. So that, that would be what the, the, the council we worked on that basis on a seven day basis. There was no person moved in there full time. There was no thing as we we we, uh, we actually had a half right now. Right, they needed somebody to accommodate. But but my understanding, my understanding is, PJ, that some of the people are there long term that have been housed. No, there was again. There was was, the longest person was there was there three months, and actually, again, actually, they were on the seven day basis. Again, they were unless they got seven days time. Yes, we couldn't accommodate them. But but will will you no longer? Will you no longer be able? I I, I, I no longer be able to deal with tourists. Twelve months, I'm I'm with 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 the, the department. I've given a contract for them. I no longer be able to do with, 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 with the Barry County Council because I'm in a full contract with, with, with the department. So that's just the way it is, you know, actually. Um, yeah. So people will move in, and, and, I, and I, I believe that, that they will stay for six months, but in three months' time, the council, the, the department could decide that they want to, to change who's coming in there. And that's because of the way of the contract, we have to deal with that as well. But the only real concern is we have 74 beds available. Uh, everything is there. The kitchens are all ready. We have staff all ready. Everything is ready to go. So, again, we're, we're, obviously people are very agitated because it's so easy. Get, you know, you're regarding social media. I see my, my own kids are being sent me. You see this, you see that. Listen, says, well, we have to deal with this situation. But a lot of stuff comes out as misinformation. And it's so easy to do it nowadays. You know, it's, it's, it's And, hard and, and this is the point. I mean, it's probably a pity, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. It's probably a pity that more information wasn't made available Ahead of time, and it might have stopped some of the speculation and some of the concerns. That is true. And I'll be honest, I, I, I heard about Liam and Matthew on. And that is true. And the department now, as well as that, I'm not sure when these people are going to arrive. We're waiting for the email to come through. Will they arrive tomorrow? Will it be Wednesday? Will it be Thursday? Mm. We don't know. Will it come in 20s? Will it be male or female? But the idea that there's, 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 there's actually 74 males are all arriving in the bus, that won't happen. Most people have, these people have cars, they have their own transport. They're, 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 the partner just trying to get them a place to stay, mm-hmm. a postal address and such. And actually, they, 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 well, if they're gone Wednesday morning to the, wherever they're going to go, they, they can go as well, you know. So they're not going to be exactly sitting around the fire for this. Have, have you That's been, my understanding. Have you spoken with the uh, John Street uh, Residence Committee on on this, PJ? They have not contacted me. Uh, I know that Donna actually has, has been up and down the street, but he has not come across to me and asked me anything about it. And as well as that, no one, like, I'm always a bit annoyed that the local councillors are local, even that Liam is obviously trying to go next year for the council and wish him well and all the best. Nobody has rang me. They have my number. Nobody has rang me over the weekend saying, listen, is this true? Mm. Can you check the facts? But they have my number. Nobody has rang me. Right. Well, you, you, you know that, that we've been trying to contact you since since Friday, obviously. I, I know you have, but yes. like, nobody rang me on my phone number. And mm. I, I actually rang Alice this morning. I said, this I speak to the fan regarding this because I've heard about it on the social media what's going out. And it, it is annoying from my point of view, but it is actually a very frustrating from the point of view of the residents. Because can you believe if you're somebody, I met a woman up there the other day, I bring all, all 74 males, that's just, no, that isn't true. But again, actually, I can't deny her, I can't deny her, I don't really know. When they arrive, I wouldn't know where they're from. Mm. But I'm told they're Ukrainians, I'm told, I'm told it's half male and half female, but I don't know it. Right, so so this this story that's gone around then that these are all males. You you you're saying that's not true either. Uh, my understanding is not true, but again, actually, no, it's not, it's not true. We are told that most of the males in Ukraine are out fighting the war, and the females have to evacuate. I'm not sure if that's true either. Now, again, actually, wait and see. But 
there's, there's 80,000 of them arrived. I'm sure somebody has that fact. And we can Google that fact regarding are they male or female? I'm sure they're not all male leaving anyway. I, don't, I couldn't um, confirm you, that. But you don't, don't know. Um, and, and I don't know. The this. people who would have questioned the capacity of the yes. hostel to house these people. What, yes. what are you, what's your answer to that, PJ? Again, I'll say this, is that if the department have been down there, we've been architects in years, they've all looked at the room, measured every room, they've gone through every facility we have, and they've, they, they've come up with the figure that it is capable of, of that, that number. Right, and, and uh, your, yeah. your planning permission, you figure, covers this, even though it's a listed building. Uh, apparently, apparently everything, so we've, we've, we've dealt with the fire, look, fire service, well, they've all covered that area. Everything, everything is, is, is as, 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 you can imagine the government department is so kind regarding finding anything. They wouldn't find a document giving you, giving you right away unless everything was checked. So, as I, and I know of myself that for the last three months they've been in and out, there's been more correspondence and God knows what. And from my point of view, we, we, we've covered every angle, but I'm just saying, uh, that's the way it is, you know. But my understanding is, yeah, but right. we wait and see. And as far as you're concerned, this is going ahead, even though a lot of opposition last night. Yeah, yeah. Some, again, actually, that's, that's the department situation again. They have to give me that email. And again, actually, as far as I'm concerned, I can't, take, I can't accept any other bookings for the next 12 months, only the bookings from the department. Right. That's the only good booking I have. And I have 74 beds available today. If they arrive this evening or tomorrow morning, give me the email. But I have the email first regarding who's coming, their names, and so on. Because everything actually has been processed through the system. And um, I, I believe that, 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 that at the moment there's a, there's a lot of them above in Stradbury who are intended accommodation, and the accommodation is, is not working out that well. And, 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 maybe down, and all the people that, that will make their way to the hostel, you, will you have yes. documentation on them, PJ? How Again, actually, we will be emailed first. And somebody will arrive in, we'll do a roster list, and we'll actually give them allocation of a room. We'll give them actually check their ID and uh, check them in, we'll give them the vouchers. And actually, every week they have to come for the vouchers from me. Right. And just finally, PJ, what do you say to the people of Cashel who have great concerns about this? I would say, actually, give it a chance. These are real people, they're real families, and we have we, we've we've actually accommodated from the hundreds of different countries around the world up to now, and actually, obviously, there's a, there's a very very small percentage of people who will get trouble. But yeah, like again, we know what to do when it does happen. But but I can reassure we will manage it well. We have the, we have the people here to work with us, and our staff here are ready ready to go. So oh. I, I I think the people should give it a chance because it's very easy. Get agitated and say, "Listen, these people can't come in. These people can't do this." But there, there are ordinary people. Like, if you go back to the the, 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 the time in 1999, 2000, some of those people are living in Cashel who come from some from Kosovo and so on. I was at their weddings. I was at their, their, their all kinds of situations of their family outings. I'm still their best friends. You know, so these people have have made a contribution to the, con- okay. to the, to the town of Cashel. So, give it a chance. And actually, the good thing as well from the point of view of, of, of the business of Cashel is. All these people have work permits for coming, and they can pull in and get a job. And there's lots of jobs right across the town of Cashel. And actually, they, I, I, believe, I believe when I'm talking to people who actually have a facility, some of mine in the small towns in Kerry and so on, is most of them are very transient. They, they could be gone for uh, seven or eight days, and, you, and actually, well, we have an email to contact them or a phone number. That's the way I can contact them, but they won't be hanging around all day. All right, PJ, so, yeah, I must... Thanks for giving me a chance to put my word across. Well, if anybody wants contact, give me a ring. I'll talk to them. I'll meet them. So 
was no problem. All right. PJ, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Uh, That's uh, PJ Quinlan there, who is the owner of the Cashel Hostel in question. We'll be going live to Cashel in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Let's go live to Cashel now and uh, Ali is there for us. Good morning to you, Ali. Yeah, good morning, Fran. I'm here at Bulls Corner just off John Street in Cashel this morning. Um, and it's all anyone is talking about here on the streets of Cashel this morning. And I'm joined by Alison Devere Honda and Declan Burgess as well, and a local resident, uh, George, who's going to talk to us in a little bit. But Declan, if I start with you, I know it's come out this morning through questions asked by Councillor Shibby Morris about when the council knew about this. We know that they've known since October 23rd that the change of the building is would be changed, but whether or not that was going to be used to accommodate refugees is kind of unclear. So when were you? When did you become aware? Well, I was very clear at the public meeting last night that uh, when I was first aware of uh, of this move was a briefing note that was sent from the department uh, on Thursday evening, late Thursday evening. Um, I suppose my immediate reaction was deep concern over the location chosen. Uh, straight away, uh, the following morning, Friday morning, um, you know, I made contact with Tipperary County Council executives. Uh, they told me they this, they were blindsided by the move uh, to, I suppose, um, uh, sign a deal with uh, the department uh, for for asylum seekers. So that 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 was, I suppose, my my first reaction to contact the council to see what we're going to do with our own homeless people that have been placed uh, in 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 that kind of uh, commercial premises the last uh, the last number of weeks and months and and for the last number of years. So I suppose then you know I also contacted the department and the minister expressing concerns because like right now, look, I appreciate the sports that you know have to be provided, but. I'm totally opposed to displacing a vulnerable person for another person. Um, uh, do we know how like we heard PJ, we were listening to PJ's interview with Fran and he is adamant that people aren't going to be displaced as a result of who's coming in, that they're on a seven day contract essentially or seven day yeah, accommodation. I, and look, I, I, I assume that's, that, that's the situation but like the reality on the ground is I'm meeting homeless people <clears throat> again today that have been displaced because of this move um, these are a lot of them are local people actually you know that have very little place to go um, from my scenario from my experience with this facility look there's had some uh, from some very bad days and we heard that from the residents last night in terms of you know what has went on in the street what has went on inside the hostel and outside the hostel um, but I, I I do appreciate that there's been an awful lot of good people um, housed there on a temporary basis in very difficult circumstances. You know, if, if it's that they've got a notice to quit from a landlord and the house has been sold uh, and they had no choice but to go in there for a night or two until they got a, a, another suitable location. You know, couch surfing is a very, uh, a very big reality. Uh, well, where do you stand on the issue of, of 74 men coming in here? I know PJ said that it'll be men and women from Ukraine. That is not what the department is telling the council. The department. No, the, the briefing note is very clear that it's international protection. All male. Applicants. Yeah, that's what it said in the, in the briefing note. 74 all male uh, international protection applicants. I don't know what countries they're from. Um, I've sought clarity from the department, but where I stand on it, you can't displace homeless people for refugees. It's not right. Morally, I have big issues with that. So, look, that's where I stand on it. I was very clear in my support um, to people's concerns last night in Hanna Fela. I didn't go hiding. Um, I was, you know, I was the first elected representative to make a statement. 
Does does the council have any control with this? Can can they <clears throat> put in a veto on it, or is this totally out of their hands? Well, I think what's very kind of unique, I suppose, in the council's response. I don't think any other local authority in the country has, has ever voiced objections uh, to a move like this. Um, a lot of it's been shied away from. Well, you know, our council, our housing section, and our, our chief executive have uh, have contacted the department and expressed deep concerns and objections to the move. Um, you have one level of government now undermining and undercutting uh, another form of local government, and you know that's madness, that's crazy, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. There should be cooperation on all fronts. And look, I, look, I'm acutely aware that this is a private commercial business, um, but it was it was a facility facility that the local authority has been utilising for uh, for emergency uh, temporary basis. So that should be considered by the department and their move is totally wrong. And the problem is it's being incentivised. Alison Devere Hunt is with me as well. What's your reaction to this news? I mean it's palpable the anger in the town this morning. Oh completely and the, say, the anger and upset last night like everybody's in the dark so it's so frustrating um, and we really you know say 74 men many may be undocumented you know, we can only guess because we have no idea. Um, the reaction is people are afraid. They, you know, our town has really only kind of sprung to life in the last year or two. We always knew how fabulous Cashel was, but it's kind of on an open stage now. And I feel this could destroy it. Like people will be afraid. They're saying you cannot walk at night. You can't be out. 74 men. And that's what we've been told. Like, and um, you know, they're, international protection applicants they're not ukrainians from all the documentation that's been put out there so i don't know why where pj is getting his information from but you know are we even going to get the names of these people i can't see that happening and i just think it's it's not fair on the people to get you know knowledge of this on friday nobody's working saturday or sunday we're in no man's land we have no idea and to be honest people are ready to stand and barricade the end of john street and the top of john street and agers lane because people are afraid if these men come in there's no getting them out you know it's prevention rather than cure is i see what's on a lot of people's minds just before we go to news and we will come back to it again after news but declan can i ask you i mean we were promised by the government this has been an ongoing issue this lack of communication and lack of consultation with community groups the government promised they would stop doing that that they would start including communities that obviously hasn't been done here no and i suppose as a local representative i'm totally shocked and how a move can happen like this with no consultation. There hasn't been a lack of consultation, there's been zero. Um, you know, no consideration given to the situation on the ground, which is deeply worrying. Um, you know, look, I, 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 I stand with the people in terms... Have you uh, been in contact with ministers from your own party on it? Oh, I've contacted several ministers, I've contacted several departments. Um, I'm trying to find a solution where, you know, the department might back down because a local authority has been utilising this site. I, you know, I know that there's potential legal routes that the residents um, are, are taking. I support them on that because the residents of John Street, I suppose, and the town of Cashel, you know, is going to be deeply affected by this move. Okay, I know we have to go to news, friends, so we'll go back to you in studio and we'll be live back here at Bowles Corner, just off John Street, after the news at 10. Thanks very much indeed, Ali. That's our own Alison out and about for us uh, today on the main street in Cashel there on uh, Bowes Corner. Huge response uh, to this this morning, both on uh, text and uh, WhatsApp. And again, uh, confusion and even more confusion after my chat with uh, PJ, who owns the... Uh, 
uh, the hostel there because it's his understanding that these people are largely Ukrainian. But I'm looking here at all of the correspondents and that seems to be at odds with uh, PJ's understanding of uh, what's happening. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, Eilish was on to say it's actually hard to credit and believe that we're listening to uh, this uh, rubbish. Uh, it's a disgraceful. Uh, assumptions beg belief and uncertainty, as he says, on who's coming and how many. And it goes on to say some other things as well, and that maybe PJ should have attended uh, the meeting last night. Um, no misinformation. It says um, that people are going to make a lot of money out of this. Um, okay. Should Ukrainian males not be fighting for their country instead of being cowards, it says here, and running away? And there's lots, lots more in on this, as you can imagine. Some of it I can't... Um, I can't read out for for obvious reasons. Uh, People wondering about the other politicians involved as well and where are they and where were they uh, last night. That's it was on 083-311-3311. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Now we continue with that story about the uh, asylum seekers that uh, are, well, as far as we can gather, arriving in Cashel tomorrow to the Cashel Town Hostel. Let's go back to Bowes Corner now where Ellie is there first. Good morning again, Ellie. Yeah, good morning, Fran. And just to continue our conversation, can I ask Alison, I know you, everyone here was at that meeting last night. Uh, tell me what are the standouts from that meeting last night? Um, I suppose there was one lady who moved here. I, she didn't say from where, from Eastern Europe, I would assume. And she has integrated well. She's been here uh, over 12 years. She has a 12-year-old daughter. She said how afraid she is now that her daughter cannot go up to Starbucks or walk down the town, that this has been, this is their home and they consider this to be their home. And Cashel has integrated so many people over the last 20 years, people who are part of our town. But the thing is, they're not coming in under shadow of darkness. We don't know what's going to happen here. Like, the residents on John Street have been terrorised for the last number of years. To be honest, it was stark. So much. How bad was it? We heard a little bit, but Donna was talking about what residents here have had to endure. How bad was it? Oh, my God, the reams of say detail that Donna had in relation to incidents he only touched the surface of what he went through from assaults to paedophiles you know say it was and on and on it was we, I didn't know that that level of you know, assault you know abuse was going on in our town and to be honest that should have never been allowed in the first place um but the thing is, I suppose the people of, of John Street have had a battle on their hands and have fought quietly. Um, and now this has come to light. And to be honest, is it going to be a case that they're out of the frying pan and into the fire? Yeah. And this is why we need we need an action plan now. Our time is very limited. The government are cleverly have put us in that position where, you know, last minute information on a Friday, nobody working a Saturday and a Sunday and people trying to come together to do their best to save our town and keep our town safe. Like Our own are being put out on the street to house these people that we don't even know. 
they're international protection applicants. Are they coming in with documentation? Do they know? Do we know where they're fleeing from? There's a huge amount of individuals, men, coming into this country that are not, say, um, you know, they're not coming from countries of war. So we need more information. Like we're being kept in the dark, and it's completely unfair. It's completely undemocratic because anyone you speak to, this is not what the people want, and we're not being listened to. Our country is being destroyed up and down the country. We are the next Sweden if we don't, you know, get our act together very quickly. Declan Burgess is still with us as well. Can I ask you that because that is the huge concern that everybody has: is are these men documented? Do we know whether they are or not? Well, look, the briefing note wasn't worth the paper it was written on. And, and you know, I've had so many questions sent to the department that we're trying to get answers to. But, look, I always try and bring, you know, a calm and collective approach to things like this. But this is deeply concerning, Alice, and we don't know the answers to the questions. Last night, there was a lot of concerns raised. Um, I suppose right now, I'm, I'm, I know I've kind of highlighted I'm deeply concerned that the county council has received no consideration or constructive engagement by the department. That is bananas that that's going on in this country. You know, we've displaced homeless people and that is my number one concern here today. Like, the safety the safety concerns, like, look, we have, we have a, a, a guard station now operating on limited hours. That's a huge concern. It was raised last night. We have some great guardie based here in Cashel, but the district has gone so big, they're stretched now. The Cashel guards are answering calls in Cork and Shore. Cork and Shore guards are answering calls in, in, in Ballyluby. It's, it's, it's too far to travel. Guards are constantly on the road instead of dealing with issues. And I have huge concerns, you know, when people talk about safety, that's another, uh, another issue that's uh, not been discussed enough. I, I, I look, I'm looking for an urgent meeting today with our TDs, our councillors, the department, uh, and, um, and, and the council. That needs to take place. Our TDs need to show leadership on that, I'm afraid. Okay. I want to talk to George now. George's been waiting very patiently. He's a, a local cashman. George, what's your take on what's been happening? Well, Alison, I'm 62 years of age and I've been living in this town all my life and I have never seen anything like what's going on here at the moment. It's unprecedented. There's a palpable fear here in this town at the moment. It's, it's actually tangible. You can almost feel it. I've, the, in, I walked to town this morning with my dog as I do most mornings and I ran into five different women and I spoke to, to all of them and each of them expressed what can only be described as almost terror of what's happening here. And also, contrary to what PJ Quinlan said, all the information that's been provided to date is that these are international protection applicants, i.e. not Ukrainians, right? Now, and it has to be also said, be it politically correct or not, some of these people are coming from countries, right? And this is the real fear, and it needs to be said, and I'm going to say it here. Some of these people are coming from countries where they have no respect for women or girls in particular. And I'm particularly concerned about that. And that has been ex expressed to me by women here in this town. And at the meeting last night, it was also expressed. There's a palpable terror here in this town. It's absolutely shocking what's going on. And it's all been done by subterfuge. All, nobody knows 
what's really happening. We're being deliberately kept in the dark here, and it's an absolute disgrace. You know, George, what you'll be accused of, people will say to you, everyone thinks the right thing should be done, but not in my backyard, and really what's at the core of this is racism. What what would you say to that? Well, the first thing I'd say about that is racism is is a, a buzzword used by people to, to um, deflect from real issues. I'm far from a racist. I, there's not a racist bone in my body. I don't know anybody in Cashel, actually, that could be even described as remotely racist. The, this town has been more than accommodating in terms of this people from all over the world here and everyone's getting along fine but the imposition of 74 males as i understand it who are international protection applicants has huge implications for this town and i'm extremely concerned about it and not only for for myself i have a wife i have female grandchildren like am i going to be asked by my granddaughter in 20 years time granddad what did you do to try and stop this is that really how you'd go to that extent that you feel this is going to be something that will impact the town for generations? Indeed, if it happens, because I've seen this in... in, in a, I lived in England for a few years, OK? And I saw this sort of thing happening 40 years ago, where huge amounts of people came in from the third world into parts of England and, and parts of London where I lived. And it was an absolute disaster from day one. It just turned the place inside out. It wasn't how it was. It, it, it just made everything so different. And it disturbed communities to the point where communities completely collapsed. And you talk about, talking about racism. Racism then started to rise. And that, of course, was regrettable. But all of these issues and all of these problems, we see we're not used to it here in, in, in Ireland. This is all new in Ireland, and particularly in small towns like Cashel. We, we're not used to this, having that many people just imposed on us, essentially, without any consultation whatsoever, it seems. Mm. I mean, the, the local representatives got some sort of an email or something on a Thursday. And Friday. They're, they're, yeah. Or Friday. Yeah. I mean, that, that's three days for, for the local community to, to try and absorb all this and what's happening, you know what I mean? It's There's talk of protest, George. Will you be taking part in that? Of course I would. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's necessary. I believe that the people of Cashel should stand up here and say no. Yeah. And unfortunately, and it's regrettable to say again, there are public representatives here who are supposed to be representing us, right? I'm not, I won't name anyone in particular, but they were called out last night at the meeting to stand up and be counted and stand by the people of Cashel, or were they going to stand by their political parties and what their dictates and in in some cases we didn't get a firm commitment from some of our public representatives that they would stand with the people of Cashel and I think that's an absolute disgrace they've been elected by the people of Cashel to represent the people of Cashel and they're shying away from it because of political correctness it's an absolute disgrace is what it is Councillor Declan Burgess can I bring you in on that then I know he wasn't referring to you no, directly it's not on that to me. yes <laughs> but just want to say the political silence on this yeah. has been very worrying and I think very frustrating for the people of Cashel here as mm. an elected political representative yourself mm. I, I'm not asking you to speak for everyone but has oh, no. the reaction uh, been adequate well I can only speak for myself and there was no silence from me Tim FM really received my statement at 11 o'clock Friday morning uh, straight away you know I bear and engaging with with the authorities I and you know so I haven't been silent I was the first public rep to do so to make a statement you know on this it's concerning you know, I, I'm from the town. I'm a proud Cashel man. Cashel is an extremely vibrant town that supports a, an awful lot of vulnerable people. 
My concern is is the homeless people were displacing. The county council have been totally contradicted by this move. You know, I think it's very unfair. Very unfair that was mentioned on radio earlier that the residents uh, association hasn't made contact with the owner. That's fair. It's not their job to make contact. Engagement should have t- taken place. It didn't. There's huge concerns. I've already submitted submitted questions to the HSC. Have they been engaged? You know, GP places in town are already stretched. Our GPs are doing the best they can. Have any provision been put in for public health? No, none of these things have been considered. But it is a policy that's promoted by your party. Completely, and I won't shy away that this is government policy and I really appreciate the supports that has to take place for refugees but we can't displace homeless people vulnerable people for another person that doesn't make sense and I'll never stand by that Alison to give you the final word then on this this morning I mean where do we go from here it looks like it's going to be a very volatile few days here in Cashel how do you see it going? It does on the bigger picture we have to look at this you know our infrastructure cannot support this any longer there's not enough doctors in this town for the people that are already in it Um, there's you know the schools are packed everything is just chaotic so I think we need to look at the bigger picture in that sense in relation to Cashel right now if there isn't answers, I suppose, by five o'clock this evening, people are going to start uh, coming together and they're going to have to put, you know, they'll be walking with their own two feet and putting whatever they have in place to, uh, to stop this. Because if these people come in, once they're in, they're in. We have heard the horror stories around the country. We do not want Cashel to be another statistic. We need to protect our town. OK, thanks to all of you for talking to us today, George, Allison, and Declan. Um, I'd imagine Fran will probably be back up here again tomorrow morning to see what the latest on the story is, but it is ongoing and I think will be ongoing as the week continues. Back to you in studio live here from Bowes Corner in Cashel. Thanks very much indeed for that, Ali, and thanks to all your contributors indeed. And you're very welcome back to Tip today. It's time to talk global politics now and I'm glad to be joined by Thomas Conway as usual. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. And uh, good to see you today. You're going to speak to me first of all about America's role where Israel and uh, Palestine are concerned. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to say is, is here, I mean, what is happening in Gaza now has, it really is appalling. I mean, the civilian casualties mounting, uh, the increased attacks, the, the threat of a ground invasion. It's it's a very, very difficult situation. And it's a situation which the Americans have kind of been trying to stabilise over the past few weeks. We saw Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, yes. on another whirlwind visit over the past couple of days, met with Mahmoud Abbas yesterday, the President of the Palestinian Authority, met with various other regional leaders, trying just to to temper the flames of this conflict, to, to cool things down ever so slightly. I'm not sure if he's been successful. I think his his calls have, uh, I won't say gone unlistened to, uh, but certainly haven't elicited the response he might have hoped for. He has hinted at a humanitarian pause. That That is that is the big policy option that Joe Biden has put forward now. A humanitarian pause as opposed to a ceasefire. A ceasefire would be a more prolonged period of mm. uh, detente or inactivity between both sides. A pause is a much shorter, much more much more brief, fleeting, uh, fleeting stop, a cessation yes, of... Yes, and then this is to look after uh, the people, uh, of this course. This is to get, uh, to so get aid in, to moment, get the, yes. the people who desperately need aid and possibly to 
enable the release of some of those hostages. We know now it's coming emerging out this morning and one of them is an Irish girl, yes. potentially, uh, which is horrifying in itself and really brings the matter home for us as Irish people. She's a little eight-year-old, yeah. yeah there uh, is no yeah. doubt that the US is playing uh, a prime role in this and it's, it's a test, really. Uh, like, this war between Israel and Hamas will, will kind of define America's role as a superpower to a certain extent. It was already being defined prior to now in the in the context of the war in Ukraine. We saw, obviously, American military support for Ukraine uh, standing up to Russia. Uh, the question of US dominance over China, the rivalry between both camps there. Uh, but this is a really big moment for America. It's a really big moment for Joe Biden. There are two... Uh, uh, huge pieces of infrastructure now resting uh, in the seas beside Israel, two kind of Navy carrier vessels. They Mm. are there specifically to deter attacks from other regional actors. So that's a show of strength. It's a show of strength. It's Mm. a show of muscle. Uh, mm. from the American from the American political establishment and it's a show of muscle that it it hopes will will somehow bring an end or bring the curtain down on this phase of the conflict. Now it's a really long term it's really really interesting because when you talk long term in America you've got to factor in the Trump factor yes. uh, and the prospect of Donald Trump returning to the White House what might that mean what decisions might he be likely to take we don't know it's 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 the one year anniversary of the election will this time next year we'll all be glued to our screens watching the US election unfold uh, but until then we do not know what Trump will come up with or how... Uh, of course, yes. And you speak about the foreign threat and you break that down to three parts. Will you just discuss that with me, Thomas? Yeah, so really there are three components to this foreign threat. One is the chaos spread by Iran across the Middle East yes. and, and by Russia and Ukraine. Aggression and instability consume American financial resources. It, this all makes, this, this, this all requires money from an American perspective. You know, these wars aren't easy to fight. We know from 20 years of Iraq and Afghanistan how difficult, how much resources need to be poured or funneled into the region. So it's all costing money from an American, from an American perspective and that is unsettling people at home. The second threat is complexity because you have a group of countries now in the Middle East, and I appreciate this is this is complex in itself, but you have a group of countries in the Middle East which are kind of slowly moving away from their historical positions. The lights of Saudi Arabia recently struck a peace deal with Israel, a diplomatic deal to kind of restore diplomatic yes. relations between the two countries. You have countries who are increasingly focused on their economic welfare as opposed to uh, the military threat, the military rivalries that would once have existed between them. So the question is, will this conflict set those relationships back? Will the relationship between Israel, for instance, mm. and Saudi Arabia be tainted by what is happening in Gaza right now? Mm. I suspect it will. I suspect it's very hard not to to look at you know what Israel is doing at the moment and we all accept that there is a response and a proportionate response, but I think, you know, the, what is happening has gone beyond that. Uh, well, it certainly seems to be the case. Of course, the other one, the big threat, has to be China. I has to be China. Has yeah. to be China. And it has kept surprisingly silent on this issue thus far. I expect it will come out with, with stronger statements as the, the pressure on it grows. Uh, but the reality is that China is a, it's a distant player in this contract, in this 
conflict. It has never been a prime actor in the Middle East. It has invested heavily in Africa uh, and Southeast Asia, not so much in the Middle East, not mm. to the same extent. But we may see its influence growing here. We may see the necessity for China to intervene uh, occurring and a kind of an intervention, a diplomatic intervention by the Chinese. It's going to be interesting. The domestic politics, of course, in Washington is at play here as well, is it not? Yeah, and we have constant ructions in Washington, constant ructions on Capitol Hill. We obviously have this huge split between... I'll call them MAGA Republicans, so Make America Great Again Republicans, Trump Republicans, Mm. essentially, and the more moderate faction of the Republican Party. You also have the schism there with the Democrats. We recently saw the the controversy over the election of the Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, and how how that managed to unfold. There are serious divides, partisan divides in U.S., in U.S. politics at present. And it is not helping its foreign policy posture because its foreign policy relies on relies on unanimity to a certain extent, relies on the politicians of America on both sides of the aisle coming together and maintaining a, a, a united front, I suppose, in response mm. to various crises. That is not what is happening at the moment. But Biden can't be shown, particularly with a, an election looming, Thomas, he can't be seen to be weak. No, and that is and that is a critical that is a critical part of this. I mean, you have to factor in the election here. We're all, as I said, we're a year away. We're exactly a year away. And from here on in, the going gets tough or the going gets serious. Biden will be watching. His moves will be choreographed to suit uh, to suit what voters think, uh, it may it may be. I mean, there is a real, real prospect of Donald Trump retaining the White House. Mm. That is for sure. And Biden is seen as the only candidate capable of of defending defending his throne, as opposed to any other Democrat. So, all his decisions from this point on will be strategic mm. and strategic in nature. So, it's going to be very, mm. very interesting. But if he is seen to be able to manage the situation in Gaza, this is your point, that this could be very, very good for him. It could be much. very good for him. I mean, p- politicians have benefited before, you know, when we when you get into these situations, particularly tough foreign policy positions, yeah. it can have very detrimental consequences if it goes wrong. You think of maybe Nixon and Vietnam mm. and, and some yeah. other um, other conflicts down the years, Bush and Iraq, Afghanistan. But when they get it right, when the intervention is right, when it's when they manage to resolve things, uh, it can reflect very well on an American president and it can do him very good. It can do his opinion polls very good. Uh, mm. So it's it's a real difficult one. A lot of this depends on Anthony Blinken. I think it's a big time. I watched Blinken speak last week extensively. Uh, I'm really impressed by him, but I think there is a lot of pressure on the man now. And, you know, a lot of it will depend on his performance in the coming weeks and months. That certainly will indeed. Let's move to Argentina then and what is... Uh, it certainly seems to be an electoral mess there. An Thomas. electoral mess, indeed. Yeah. So, I mean, we had the Argentinian World Cup team, the rugby, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. Two days after that, we had the first round of the presidential election. And by all accounts, this was meant to be a presidential election which would restore a bit of stability to Argentina. So we had one candidate in particular, Patricia Bullrich, who was. A sensible centre-right option, you know, kind of moderate in terms of fiscal and economic policy, looked like she could lead the country on a 
on a stable enough path. Lo and behold, she didn't receive enough votes to make the second round. Instead, two other candidates. One was called Sergio Massa. He's from the uh, the populist Peronist Party, which has dominated Argentinian politics for decades now. Uh, the other is Javier Millet, who is kind of this libertarian anarcho-capitalist who has actually been leading in the polls prior to the election. He received 30%. So... It's, we're now into a runoff. It's, it's a two-round electoral system. So we have the initial election. Uh, the two highest candidates are then plumped mm. into a second round and the winner of that round will become president. So it's a fight now, a direct conflict between Sergio Massa, the populist Peronist, and the anarcho-capitalist Javier Millet. And what is it about Massa? I mean, you, you say populist. Is, is he virtually buying this election? It, that that it, it looks to be the case. And I mean, this comes at a... All this should, I should mention the backdrop to this because Argentina is a country rife with political problems. Mm. They say, and a famous economist once uh, wheeled out a quote, there are four types of countries in the world, developed, undeveloped, Japan and Argentina. And that is because uh, both Japan and Argentina have followed this unique economic trajectory, particularly Argentina. It was, it was, it was once a, develop, a developed country. It has actually kind of regressed from developed to developing, one of the few countries to which that has happened. So that just highlights the gravity of the economic, uh, the economic troubles facing the country. It owes the IMF copious amounts of money. Uh, it is seeking bailouts here, there and everywhere. The economy is flailing. It's a really difficult situation. But the Peronist candidate, Sergio Massa, has, has promised to try and alleviate some of this by higher public spending. Uh, he, he's, he's taken out a, a list of proposals which, which include yeah, higher public spending, higher expenditure on services and that. Things which Argentina simply cannot afford mm. at this point in time. But would he have to end up in a coalition? I mean, he wouldn't have enough to... No, he wouldn't have enough votes on his own. And that is the trouble when it comes to... Now, the Peronists are traditionally quite good at knitting together coalitions. Uh, they're a party, as I said, which has dominated Argentinian politics for decades now. Uh, right back to the days of Peron himself. Yes. Uh, and, and they are quite good at putting together these multifarious coalitions of different parties and different actors of doing all they can to hold on to power. So there is a prospect that that will happen. In short, neither candidate remains likely to solve Argentina's problems. As I said there, $43 billion it owes to the IMF. That is a staggering amount of money. It is in it is in a debt spiral, a debt trap, which has really placed the welfare of Argentinian citizens in, in jeopardy uh, because it's a beautiful country. We know, mm. we mm. know it, it's proud, proud traditions of soccer, country of Lionel Messi. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it's a very well-regarded country internationally from a tourist perspective. But certainly when it comes to economics and politics, it has just been plagued by instability, ravaged by instability. And it looks like this, this election will just yield more. Yield more of that uh, of that ill content. We ask you to uh, identify a historical figure for us every every week as well, Thomas. And uh, this week it's Nelson uh, Mandela, um, one of one of the most, I suppose, important figures. You know, one of the icons of yeah. of global democracy, and yeah. I think a hero to many people, an inspiration to many people, uh, and lived a lived an incredible life. 
to bring you back Nelson Roliala Mandela, born 18th of July 1918, a South African anti-apartheid activist and politician who served as the first president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. He was, of course, the first black head of state. He was responsible for bridging that divide between blacks and whites of ending effectively the apartheid regime in the country. But my God, he didn't have it easy. This man spent 27 years in jail, much of it in Robben Island. We're familiar with that uh, prison colony, Robben Island. Uh, 27 to 30 years in jail, uh, fighting for his freedoms. He came from a a relatively uh, distinguished background. He was kind of a, a royal... Uh, a royal, if you like, in his in his ethnic class within the part of South Africa that he was from. Uh, so he was always destined for for big things. He was always destined for a big future. But I think few could have anticipated the role he would have in shaping South Africa, shaping modern day South Africa. And you know, I I picked him this week partly because we've just seen we've just seen South Africa win the Rugby World Cup. Immediately, people will cast their their minds back to the nineteen nineties when they won their first World Cup uh, and. Mandela greeted the, pre- the the captain of the team on the pitch in this kind of great, great moment of healing mm. for the nation. Yes. It was beautiful, beautiful to watch. I mean, I can't remember it. I've watched it back. Uh, but he just had this ability to, uh, to I think, bring people together. Uh, now, he wasn't always... He didn't always eschew violence. There were times in his political career when he was prepared to accept violence as mm. a means of struggling against the apartheid regime. So he wasn't completely squeaky clean. His reputation uh, is debated among some. His legacy is debated. But by and large, he was an advocate of peace, somewhat like Mahatma Gandhi in India. Yes. Uh, and his imprisonment, of course, and uh, then his release. I mean, it grabbed the attention of the whole world. It captured it, you know? it captured the imagination yeah. of the world. So, as, as I said, served 27 years in prison, split between Robben Island, Poolsmore Prison and Victor Verster Prison. Amid growing then, then amid growing domestic and international pressure and fears of a racial war, President F.W. de Klerk released him in 1990. And along with de Klerk, Mandela led efforts to, to effectively end the apartheid regime. And a certain degree of credit has to go to de Klerk here. He died, I think, I think it's about a year and a half ago now at this stage, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, he was he was a man who had to turn around on his principles. Initially, he was very much, I won't say in favour of apartheid, but very much in favour of upholding the status quo. He saw the need for change. Uh, and I, I have to call out his bravery in, in, in approaching that change. For anything I've read seems to reflect fondly on him. Uh, the partnership between him and Mandela was... Yeah, well, of course, the writing was on the wall, I suppose, for the Clark, really, you know, was it not? Yeah, it, it probably was. Yeah. It probably was. It strikes me as somewhat similar to the likes of uh, John Hume and maybe some of the other peace leaders in Northern Ireland. There are always parallels between between these conflicts which go through civil conflict and the Northern Ireland situation. You have these great peacemakers that you really need and actually that we are now lacking in the context of the Middle East. There is no power cut or there is no individual or group standing up in Gaza on the Israeli or the or the Gazan side capable of it's kind very, of... It's a very good point. You can't help but imagine that he'd be very disappointed with the South Africa of today. Though, yeah, you know? yeah, and very disappointed with how his party, the African yeah. National Congress, has evolved because they've obviously been 
racked by corruption scandals. We had the former president, Jacob Zuma, uh, charged for, for corruption. The present guy who's in there, Cyril Ramaphosa, mm. he's, uh, his reputation is a little bit better, but I mean, he's certainly not squeaky clean. Uh, he has been, he's been accused of various, various scandals and various, uh, Financial improprieties throughout his term in office, and that would I assume would assume make Mandela weep because he founded the African National Congress Party, or he joined the party to kind of uh, ensure it was a democratic, transparent force that it was a force for good, yes, a force for change, and. It hasn't quite transpired that way. In the past few years, the party has, I think it has lost its way, essentially. Uh, it has lost its way and needs needs rejuvenation, needs a new, young, uh, you know, transformative leader to come in and... Yes, uh, and, and find its place in the world. And find well, its place in the yeah, world. That yeah. is, that's really because, obviously, South Africa is also a, pro- a country with huge problems. We hear the stories of violence, epidemic violence across the country. There is still widespread poverty there. You still have social problems. So the Africa of, South Africa of today hasn't progressed maybe to the extent that Mandela would have envisaged initially. Uh, it certainly has a long yes. way to go, but hopefully it can. Let's have a look to what we should be looking out for for the coming uh, week. Uh, the British Prime Minister, I suppose, Thomas. Yeah, he was an Elon Musk deal on AI testing last week. Mm. He met with Elon Musk in a very interesting kind of uh, I think it was more a show more than anything else Sunak actually interviewed Elon Musk about about artificial intelligence and his thoughts on it and the prospects for the future and it actually made for quite compelling listening uh, you know he, he really delved into it in depth artificial intelligence and I'll speak about it more in a further programme is really becoming prominent it, mm. it is going to affect all of us every single one of us uh, it's scary it's frightening I don't really understand it myself I don't think Sunak entirely understands it mm. himself uh, he was certainly he was certainly full of questions for Elon yes. Musk uh, but it is a dimension of politics which I think we'll see increasing in, in the years to come in the months and years to come uh, as AI becomes more prominent in the workplace, more, more prominent. I think Musk described it as the single biggest transformation for humankind. Yeah, AI is going and, to and be, it probably is. And, yeah. and I mean, you know, as I say, I'm yet to understand it fully. You know, AI mm. means so many different mm. things. You have technologies like chat GPT, but you also have these kind of nebulous technologies that are capable of 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 doing things that uh, humans might have thought impossible. You know, calculating sums at vast speeds, things like that, making making commands, things. You know that. Uh, yes, it's it's the notion of it thinking for itself. Of course, that scares yeah. the wits out of everybody. Yeah, and it? I mean, we all don't want to be ruled by robots. That's yeah. the that's the fear. And uh, just before we finish up, the German uh, vice chancellor as well. Yeah, it's just a warning. Yeah. A warning. Uh, Robert Habeck has has jabbed Muslim groups about German anti-Semitism. This has come up in the context of the war between Israel and Gaza, the war, war between Israel and Hamas. Rather, uh, there has been a rise in anti-Semitism, and that has been reflected in various countries across the continent so it's a worrying trend and the German minister was first to call it out there are of course there are traditions of anti-Semitism in Germany unfortunately with the legacy of the Second World War there there are still groups operating there behind the scenes there's one group in particular Pejida a right wing force which are even more radical than the alternative for Deutschland party the alternative for Deutschland being the main right wing party but this group Pejida are, are a little bit more radical than them uh, and would be accused of, of levelling uh, 
racist, anti-Semitic views. So just a warning from from uh, from the, the German minister uh, about anti-Semitism and the threats which it poses. Right, and just before we go, what about Trump's son? What's what's happening? Yeah, there? they're both on trial in a New York court. Uh, where else? They're, you know, they're back at it again. Don Jr. and Eric. Uh, Trump hasn't is yet to make an appearance himself at this trial, but it's a, it's a civil fraud trial, basically looking into allegations surrounding uh, surrounding the Trump empire and surrounding the financial conduct uh, which Donald Trump undertook and which the Trumps in general undertook because obviously it's a family affair. Last week in court, it was quite, it was amusing actually. Donald Trump kind of tried to cut this cool dude figure, uh, put on this really kind of macho persona. Yes. Eric was a little bit more reserved. Uh, both of them, I would imagine, are feeling the pressure despite it. I mean, it's it's a very interesting one, but look, it doesn't seem to like, it doesn't seem like it's going to damage Mr. Trump's electoral prospects. His opinion polls are sky high. Yes. Uh, I can only imagine what the legal costs for that entire family are. At I really, I, I would hate to look at it. I'd say it builds up. You're into the billions. Uh. I would imagine so. Thomas, always a pleasure. Thanks for Pleasure, Fran. Thank you. Thomas Conway. Um, all right, news and information's coming up. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. As ever, we'd be delighted uh, to hear from you. We will play Match 3 very soon. If you want to register, will you do so as soon as you can? 083-311-3311. We need your name, your details, and just put uh, Match 3 at the end of that uh, contribution. And now we go back to the main story of the morning. We've been discussing it right throughout the morning, the notion of uh, 74 asylum seekers. There's no little confusion on whether they're asylum seekers or whether they're Ukrainians. Coming to uh, Cashel tomorrow, they will be housed at the Cashel Town Hostel on John Street and uh, Senator Gareth Ahern uh, joins me now. Gareth, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for having you. Uh, and thanks for coming on. You might uh, give us some clarity on uh, this because you've been in touch with the department. Who is coming to Cashel? I'm sorry, you're breaking up on me there, Gareth, so we just can't hear you properly. Can you? It might be very sorry, sorry, Frank, can you hear me now? Okay, that's a little better. Yep, yeah, it's a little better. Yeah, so- no, I was, I was listening to the contributions this morning and there seemed to have been a bit of uh, confusion in, in, terms of, in terms of who was coming. So I got in contact with the minister and with the department uh, to find out exactly because as as most people have said, Martin Lynch has said, and and uh, Liam Brown and Declan Burgess have said that we all got briefing on this uh, on Friday, and that it was seventy four international protection people coming. Uh, and then when it was said that it might be Ukrainians, I just wanted to, to make sure to the Department of the Minister which is factually true because the communication has been so poor up to date. It's important now that we actually have the facts, and the facts are that it's international protection. It won't be Ukrainians coming to Casho. Um, so, you know, that's important mm. to be honest about. And, and, um, and what about the male-female break? Is it all males? It's all males. It's all it's, males. It's, it's, it's all, it's all males. Um, and, you know, this is incredibly frustrating for everyone in Cashel. I, 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 like, it's the lack of communication has been just um, I'm very poor. Uh, uh, I, I agree with everything that, that, that my colleague Declan Burst has said in terms of... Uh, there was no consultation with, with people in Cashel, no consultation with councillors, with public representatives, 
Um, and that's not what was promised by the Minister a number of months ago, or almost a year ago, that communication would improve. Uh, and it hasn't. And, um, and that's a real problem. Mm. And a real frustration. And, and of course, the, 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 big, the big worry is that, you know, people are inside the screens. If you could see the screens in front of me here, Garrett, uh, they've lit up with people. And a lot of it is about fear. And, of course, fear comes from lack of information. It comes from lack of Absolutely. clarity, you know. Absolutely. And that's what we've asked for. Uh, and and that's why when when there was when the, the, there was um, mis- when, when there was information we given out this morning about who was coming, I thought it was important to come onto the show to be to be very factual on what, what was happening. So that's why I contacted the minister's office uh, um, immediately. Um, but this this isn't acceptable. Um, it's not acceptable that information is given at very late notice to public or, to public representatives, uh, and it's not acceptable that there's been no consultation with the community. And people put forward a very valid case here uh, that that accommodation was being used to service homeless people in Tipperary, uh, people for one for one reason or another who needed emergency accommodation for a short period of time before they could get back on their feet. And now we don't have that facility. Uh, for people. Mm. So people now who present themselves to Tipperary County Council, uh, the housing section of Tipperary County Council need to find alternative accommodation for them. Uh, and that's very difficult. Uh, and that's the concern that you know, people like my colleague Councillor Declan Burgess has mentioned is this is a genuine concern people have, is that people who are homeless had accommodation in Cashel, temporary accommodation in Cashel, and don't have it now. And I think there's a wider context it, 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 when I was listening to, to the owner of the uh, of the building, um, BJ talking about how he had seven day contracts mm. with Tipperary County Council, like that's worrying in itself that there's only seven day contracts for Tipperary County Council to house homeless people. Like I think we all accept that homelessness won't be solved in a week, two weeks, a month, two months' time. We need accommodation for a longer period of time for county councils and to have contracts with with buildings for longer periods than seven days. So this exact thing doesn't happen. But you, you, you wish that there was as much vision and creativity and tenacity uh, about our own people as there seems to be uh, about uh, asylum seekers and uh, international protection applicants. Uh, you know, I mean, this the, we find this incredible. Like the notion as well that the department would go and seek out premises like that. I mean, PJ tells me he didn't go to them. They went to him. Yeah, so, so the, the department would put out calls looking for premises uh, for accommodation. I, I'm not sure which one made contact with, with who. But I, I, I suspect no one will know um, um, how that happened. But the department would put out calls for accommodation. But like under no circumstances should the department be looking for accommodation that was being used for homeless, uh, for homeless people. Uh, that seems to me a department and a local authority not in communication with each other about the services that are provided uh, for mm. vulnerable people in Tipperary. Yes. Like you're essentially moving out vulnerable Tipperary people to move in vulnerable uh, international protection Well, I, I saw the correspondence to Matty McGrath on that from the department and uh, they were of the opinion that this was not a facility for homeless people, you know. So. Well, look, like everyone in Cashel knows that that was a facility that was used uh, for homeless people and, and, and was badly needed uh, to be used. Uh, for homeless people, so it's it's just not it's just not actually the case that that it wasn't. You know, everyone in the town uh, knew that it was. Um, I deal with people on a weekly basis who are looking for temporary emergency accommodation. 
uh, and cash has been used numerous times yes. in, in, for individuals that I've, that I've had. Yeah, and we're aware ourselves, people, people from Nina yeah, will have used it from, from, from time to time. Yeah, you've, you've well. had a number of people on your show who've, yeah. who've, who, who haven't been able to get accommodation and then a couple of days later we've been able to get them in and actually one of those cases was in cash uh, in this facility. So it's been used for a long time for, uh, for homeless people. Um, and we've a limited number of space that we can use for homeless people. So the question now is, you know, yeah. what's the alternative space that we're going to give for homeless people? Um, have Tipperary County Council found alternative accommodation for everyone? And have you any indication that they have or that they had the time to do that? Or No, no, no. But they have a requirement that anyone who presents themselves homeless to be able to, to, be able to accommodate them, to right. be able to house them, whether that's in a B&B or a hotel or a hostel. Uh, on a temporary basis, so anyone who presents themselves you, you, homeless you, needs to be supported. It's your party as part of this government that's behind yeah. this government. Are you saying you disagree with fundamentally with what's what's happening? Uh, what's well, what I what I disagree with <clears throat> what I disagree with is the lack of communication with mm. with, with 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 the community. Um, like it, it is the government in place at the moment. The minister is responsible in terms of international protection. Is Roger O'Gorman mm. for Ukrainians? It's Joe O'Brien. They're, they're both. Uh, they're not ministers from 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 my political party, mm. which well, means I don't have the same relationship with them. But yeah. oh, absolutely, yeah. they're part of government. But I don't have the same relationship with them as I would with with a Fine Gael minister uh, in terms of getting information as quickly as possible. But like, what I don't agree with is just announcing on a Friday evening that people are coming to your hometown. Yeah. A significant amount of people but are the, coming to your town. But there's precedent for this, Garrett. This has happened time and time again. You yeah, know? It's, it's happening in Rathlair at the moment. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's about 400 There's about four hundred in Rathlair at the moment and there's an additional two or 300 uh, more more coming uh, in a couple of weeks. And again, with, with very little or no consultation, as far as I'm aware. Um, mm. And, you know, it's the same frustration there. It's happened in Wicklow as well. And what's frustrating for us is We've been promised, because of complaints we've made uh, before about a lack of consultation, we were promised that that would improve and the communities and community groups would have the opportunity uh, to, to outline their concerns, whether that's with schools, whether that's with GP, uh, health or, or anything. Um, that that opportunity would, would happen. Well, and it seems in this case that that's not going to happen. Uh, all the more so now that we know that these are international protect- protection applicants. They're not Ukrainians and no. they are all male as well. So there's yeah. not, yeah. not a gender breakdown there. Um, what about just the whole thinking behind accepting so many uh, international protection applicants as well as so many Ukrainians? Are like, it has to stop somewhere, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I, I, <clears throat> in fairness, I think the Taoiseach has said only a number of weeks ago that we're at capacity. Um, that we can't take anymore. Mm. Um, that other countries need to step up. Uh, mm. If you look at if you look at Ukrainians, we've taken way more uh, than any other Western uh, country yeah. in Europe. A lot of the Eastern countries in Europe obviously have taken a significant amount more than us because they're neighbouring countries of Ukraine. Um, but this has to be shared mm. out, and it's not uh, it, it, it's not fair. That, but in fairness, that, Garrett, that, when, that when, when Matty, when Matty McGrath said that. Quite some time ago, I put it to you on this program about that, and you were very scathing about Deputy McGrath at the time. You know, no, no, no. I said no. That's not, that's not fair at all, friend. What I said was, <clears throat> we had a legal responsibility to Ukrainians uh, to support Ukrainians at the start of the war. That that's factually true. Uh, but what we don't have is is a capacity to deal with an unlimited number of people coming into the country. Right. The Taoiseach has said that himself. So why, why don't we stop um, it? Why why don't we just stop it? Well, that's that's what we're that's what we're trying to do in terms of limiting numbers coming in. 
Uh, that's why we're looking at, 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 at things in terms of supports and payments for people to make it less attractive uh, for people to come. One of the biggest challenges we have is people who come into Europe, stay in a certain country for six, seven, yeah. eight months, and then decide to come to Ireland. A secondary travel, essentially, is what it's yeah, called. But you see, many and, people you know, knew that, that was happening for quite some time, you know. Yeah, but it's about putting legal things in place to, 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 to stop that from happening, where we then have an obligation to look after them. The first country they arrive in should be the country at that point. And I know, I know, Garrett, you're, you're canvassing at the moment. Is, is this a big issue on the doorsteps? I mean, is this going well, to be pivotal? Well, 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 from people I meet on doors, people really want to help and they want to support. That's why so many people have taken, uh, uh, particularly people from Ukrainian, into their homes and into their communities. But there is a real fear that we've reached a limit and that we've reached uh, a stage where we just cannot take any more. Uh, and there's a fear within the community that we're putting ourselves under huge pressure when there's other countries who aren't uh, or who are perceived as not doing as much as we are doing. Uh, there, there is a fear, and then, and one of those reasons why there's a fear, why the fear is so high is because of lack of communication from the minister and from the department. And until that improves, and unless they're actually willing to uh, to, to improve that, yes. uh, that fear will always remain, you, you, uh, remain. You're kind of distancing yourself and your party a little bit from from this, Garrett. Uh, like to, to me, this is this is obvious. You know, you're 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 moving seventy four people into an accommodation where we're housing homeless people at the moment. And you do it without telling that, without telling anyone who represents the people in the area, whether that be TD, senators, councillors, uh, any public representatives. Right. Like, there's absolutely no way um, uh, I or anyone else would support that sort of um, uh, way in dealing with with this situation. And the response uh, needs to say will be protest. But have you fears around that? Well, as long as it's peaceful protest. Cashel is a wonderful town with great people, with a wonderful tourism industry that uh, needs to be protected and needs to be nurtured uh, and, and developed going forward. But there are great people and great businesses. And I was listening to Martin Lynch earlier on talking about it from a business perspective. Like People will, uh, will protest, I suspect, and, and rightly so, and, 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 and have no problem with peaceful protests whatsoever. Um, people are more than uh, entitled to do that, but it comes from it comes from a feeling of concern and worry and lack of knowledge. Like that's essentially what it is. It's lack of knowledge uh, of what's happening, and that's a fault of the department. Right, but uh, now, now we have the knowledge. We know from from your own confirmation. There, we're talking about seventy four uh, male international protection applicants into Cashel probably tomorrow. I don't know when they're coming in, um, but but I suspect I suspect it's in the next in, in the next day or two. I would think, but I I didn't get that information. But yeah, it's it's, it's seventy four right. males. You you didn't not, attend uh, that meeting in Cashel last night. No, I, I I only found out very late on it. I actually wasn't invited to it. Sometimes it happens uh, 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 once in a while where where, where a senator gets gets forgotten about when when, when emails go out. It's normally TDs and councillors. Um, but uh, but I'm more than happy to engage with with the community and, and have done already. I've spoken to an awful lot of residents uh, on John Street who are very very concerned about what's happening um, and will continue to do so. All right, Garrett. Thanks thanks very much indeed for talking to us today. Senator Garrett O'Hearn uh, speaking to us there. Seemingly nobody was invited to, in particular. I'm just reading here. It was a public meeting and notice was put up on social media. Let's go back to uh, Cashel and to Cleona. Cleona, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good, good to talk to you. You're living in the town, Cleona. 
Yes, I am. I'm a very concerned resident of Cashel and a mother of two young children. And I suppose really what I just wanted to talk to you about today is that we're trying to organise a protest. So we would like to start at 12 o'clock today. If any of the Cashel residents could come along and spare a couple of hours, we'd really appreciate it. What are your main concerns, Cleona, as a mother? Fran, I uh, I worked in housing in the UK for years, so I know like a little bit about it, and I know for a fact that it is impossible to vet uh, to vet men coming from other countries. We heard last night at the meeting that a lot of the IPAs they call them are actually destroying their documents when they enter the country. So even, like, as we were told last night, they're not vetted currently. But even if they were, they're, even if they did vet them, there'd be no way of tracking down what they did. And to be honest, in a lot of those countries, there's serious crimes on women that aren't reported at all. So how do we know what type of people there are? There could be 70 good ones and four bad ones. You don't know. And I think the people of John Street have been put through enough over the last few years with the, with antisocial behaviour and other things going on in Cashel. And I think to bring 74 undocumented men into the town would just be... I think there'd be awful repercussions. And when you say awful repercussions, what, what, what exactly do you mean, Cleona? Well, even if it's just antisocial behaviour, like pushing that number of men into 19 rooms, I think it is. Yeah. Can you imagine just, imagine in the winter being locked in a room with three other people that could be from different religions, different backgrounds to you. You just don't know. Like, it's just a recipe for disaster. I'm currently waiting three weeks to get a doctor's appointment in Cashel and I've spoken to lots of my neighbours, same thing. So putting pressure on our services as well is going to just... It's everything. It's everything, Fran. We just... we don't. I'm not really qualified to, you know, to get into the political nitty-gritties of mm. it. Mm. And to, to say that if anyone has time today at 12 o'clock... We're going to start protesting down on John Street. And the people you'd know are the mothers like yourself. I mean, what is that fear there with them, Cleona, is it? But it's justified fear, considering the things that we hear in the news and, you know, like all the things that have happened in the last few years, like major crimes in Ireland. I think we're justified. Like, like that, like when your kids get to teenage years, like as I said, I moved home from the UK so my kids could have a little bit more freedom and could walk around the town if they wanted to. Oh, go get an ice cream down Tommy Grogan's, whatever happens. I think it will really. And and who's to say that Mr. Quinlan wouldn't buy another property next year and do the same thing again? Okay, well, we have like, no, we have no indication of that. But you're saying that it's no, it's, but it's, it's, a it's a real it's a possibility. Yeah. Fiona, thank you for your time this morning, and uh, we wish you well. Thank you for coming on with us. Thank you and good morning to you. Let's go to uh, Tracy now. Tracy, good morning to you. Morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Tracy. You've lived in Cashel all of your life, uh, Tracy. What what are you making of the news? I think it's an absolute disgrace. And I'm in fear for the people in Johnstown. 
because the, most of them are elderly people. Uh, there is younger people there as well. Um, I worry for kids coming home from the discos, male and female. We don't people coming home from work from the palace or that walks up and down that street every day. Kids that go up and down there from school. Now I don't have a problem with anybody coming into the town, but it's seventy four males. You know. Yeah, and that that's your main concern. Now, there's already been anti-social behaviour on John Street, and of course, most of the perpetrators there were, were Irish people. It's important to point that out, I suppose, as well, Tracy. you know? Oh, well, yeah, we know that. Yeah. We know that, but yeah. a lot of them is of the foreign people as well. Not just the Irish, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, you'll have the people walking on the street. What are these 74 men going to be doing? I don't know. When on little wage, on little pay that they be getting, yes. they're going to be killing each other inside in the place, and then they're going, they're going, they'll take it outside the building, mm. and they'll take it out onto the street. And you have a lot of children going up and down there, as the lady said before. They'd be going up and down to Grogan's there, Starbucks, the whole lot of place. Like George McGrath was on this morning. Mm. Fair juice to that man. Everything he said was the truth. I will back him up a hundred percent. Um, you yourself, friend, are a cash man. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're in fear. You have family here. Yeah, it's... In cash as well. You see, it's fear of the unknown. If there was more information out there, at least... You see, that's just it, friend. You know, there wasn't enough fear information. fear of the unknown, isn't it? Yeah. There wasn't yeah. enough information given. Um, I'm not going to use the word lies. I use the word fib. Yeah. Because I know I can't say... No, no. And, and, and we don't want to do... I mean, what, what we're trying to hear, do here, I suppose, Tracy, is to get the information out there and see see what if we can sort of wade through it and all of that. Um, the, the You know, people like yourself who come on, you make very reasonable points and stuff. Does it concern you that there are a group of people then who would say that you're racist and you don't want people just because they're another skin colour or they're from another... Yeah. Does that well, worry you, Tracy? No, 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 because I don't think there's any racist... Any Anybody is saying anything about being... Well, mm. Or are we being racist to these people that are coming in? Mm. We don't know who's coming in. If this was but 74 males from any other part of the world or any other part of the country, you'd still have the same concerns, I guess, would you? You see, people have got, have got to understand these males that are coming in from these countries, their women in some of them countries don't have rights. They don't have the freedom that we have. We have rights. Women here in Ireland, we have rights. Mm. And when you have men like that coming in here and then they try to own the women, in Ireland, not just Cashel, in Ireland. Well, you you see, know, that's, there, not, there, that's not good enough. There, there are cultural differences, I suppose, between between different countries and, and uh, the like. Will you take part in protests, uh, Tracy? Oh, yes, I will. And there will be a protest tonight from nine o'clock on. And if it be an all-nighter, people are more than welcome to come out. I'm hoping they come out because normally when they're bringing in people... They'll bring them in during the night. Right, but we would urge people... See, see, the government uh, thinks I mean, that we're stupid. We're not stupid. We're no fools. All the Irish people are no fools. Right. But I tell you now, friend, I'm telling you straight out, not cutting you off, enough is enough. It's enough now. Right. We've got to protect the people in John Street. We've got to protect our families, our friends, our nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren, our parents. We need to stop. 
To carry on above in Musgrave this morning or any other day up there is an absolute disgrace. An absolute disgrace. But I would presume, Tracy, like myself, you'd urge people, okay, it's, it's perfectly legal to protest, but you'd urge people to be calm and, you know, make sure that there's no unsavoury oh, I, th- I, I, I think everybody will yeah. be calm. Okay. They, they'll go the right way about right. it. But I know there's a protest this morning and there will definitely be one tonight. All right. Tracy. So all that I hope and... Tracy, thank you very we much, appreciate friend. your time this morning, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, good, friend. Good Bye. morning to you. And that's Tracy in Cashel this morning. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now you're welcome back. It's time for this. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie uh, let's go to the phones and Noreen is there for me. Good morning to you, Noreen. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Noreen, whereabouts in the county are you? I'm in Clanmel. Very good indeed. You're going to have a go at our match three. You know what the story is. Match up three squares on the board and that will give you a prize, a fantastic prize too. So um, all you have to do is pick a number for me. Uh, we'll start with 28. You're going to go with a 28. All right, then let us just open that box. Number 28 is a pair of Acres wireless charger bedside lamps, and it's to the value of about 119 euros. So it's a nice prize, isn't it? Let's see if we can match up now, Noreen. So pick, pick another number for me, another box. Number three. Number three this time. Let us open the box. And sadly, it's uh, not a match. It's a Fitbit Charge 5 fitness tracker and it's valued at €155. So sadly, we can't give you a prize. But to help other listeners out there, will you pick a third box for me anyway, Noreen? I will. 14. Number 14. Let's open that box and see what happens. And in fact, that also is a Fitbit Charge 5 fitness tracker. You weren't lucky this time, Noreen, but will you keep trying? I will, I will, and thanks very much for the call. Not at all, and lovely to talk to you today, Noreen. Thank you, and bye-bye to you now. That's Noreen. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, I'd glad to be joined in the studio by Neil Dennehy, who is a neuromuscular physical therapist, a health and fitness instructor and author of What to Do with a Stardust. And uh, good morning to Neil, and it's good, good to see you today. Uh, you're going to talk to us about walking and hiking uh, today, and I suppose some of the dangers around it in terms of how we look after ourselves. Yeah. Just before I do, can I wish my father a happy birthday? It's his birthday today. Is it indeed? uh, Michael Dennehy, and he's 74 years young. Ah, very very happy birthday to Michael, indeed. Thanks, Frank. So, hiking then and uh, walking and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So, 
uh, just I remember years ago when I was a, a very regular gym goer and I was gym instructing as well at the same time. I used to say that walking is what you do to get to the gym in my <laughs> youthful arrogance, you know, yes, yeah, because yeah. it was I felt it was, you know, it was low intensity. It's not real exercise, but yeah. I have a totally different view in it now. Do um, you? Since yeah. I do. Yeah, walking yeah. Is, is fantastic. I'm a big, big, big fan of walking and hiking. Um, I got into it myself about 15 ish years ago. Um, after I hurt my own back in the gym, actually just pushing too hard and straining my back, lifting more than I should have been lifting probably. Yeah. And, and it just made me kind of rethink the training I was doing and what I was doing. So I said I'd take a break from the gym, but I didn't want to be not active at all. Yes. So I said I'd, I'd have a go at maybe some hiking and, and just kind of fell in love with it. I, just, I find it fantastic. Yeah. It's so good. You know? What do we need to take into account though? If we're like, if we've been a bit of a couch potato and we're setting off on be walking or hiking or whatever, what, what do we need to take into account? So I suppose like any type of exercise there's a progression you know if so if you're a couch potato then any form of walking is going to be beneficial for your health because it's going to get your cardiovascular system working a bit harder it's going to wake up some of the muscles that you haven't been using much so that would be the starting point um, and and the distance and the time you spend is really down to yourself if you don't walk at all then a kilometer or two or three you know a half an hour 40 minutes an hour could be great for you mm. initially but once you get used to walking on the flats um, and you get fit enough for it. You're not you're not going to progress anymore by doing the same thing. So then you maybe want to step it up a bit, and then you're on to even before you hit the hills. I suppose the distinction between walking and hiking really is with hiking. You're generally uh, going on the hills, and it's tracks and trails more so than footpaths. Mm, mm. You know, well, it's more challenging. It's a bit it? more challenging. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you could you could bridge the gap with uh, walking around the town and taking a hill. The, the Cashel Road mm, Hill there mm. coming out of Clamell, that's, that's a good hill. That's, that's a fair hill. There's a pull on yeah. that, you yeah. know. So if you wanted to start building yourself up, just work in routes where you've got some hills, build it up slowly. Um, but then when you head out on the trails, now footwear is always important, whether mm. you're on the roads or not. You want good runners with good support and good comfort. Um, but when you go on the hills, then the gear it does step up a bit and again I learn everything by doing by doing, and usually by doing it wrong you know so when I went out first I'd head out by myself on a Sunday morning I wouldn't say to anyone where I was going and I'd have a pair of runners and a shorts and a t-shirt maybe a sweatshirt with me in case and it was only as time went on I, I realised you need a little bit more than that and, and from doing I did the mountain skills training courses one and two and I did a lowland leader um, guide course as well and you just you get more stories and you learn the importance of the other things. So if you're starting from the ground up with the gear, gear is important. You mm. want to have good good footwear. Really want a pair of boots. Uh, waterproof, ideally, if you're going into any boggy ground. Yes. If you're on tracks and trails, you know, the crushed stone, you probably won't need anything too waterproof. Um, but but if you're, if you're going to be going off that a little bit more where it's boggy, your feet will get soaked. If you're out for a few hours and your feet get soaked, it's not fun. Right, you it's know, not so you want all, good yeah. waterproof boots. Um, the grip on the underneath is a huge part. That's that's massive because the biggest cause of accidents on the hills in hiking is slips and falls. Mm. That's your number one. That's where most of the damage comes from when people slip. But if you've got good grips in your footwear, you're you're far less likely to to slip or to fall. And then the hiking poles are actually important, and some yeah. people use. Tell, tell me, what what part do they play really? Uh, the hiking poles. Yeah, they can play a huge it's a part. Grip. Well, if you know how to use them, there's okay. a technique to using them, um, ah. and and that's a huge part of it. So if you use the poles correctly, 
they will probably take 25% to 30% of your body weight onto your upper body <coughs> and off your legs. Now the benefits yes. of that are now you're strengthening your upper body as well and you're taking pressure off your knees, your hips, your calves, which are going to be working hard on the uphills, but also on the downhills. A lot of people have trouble on, on with hiking on the downhill more than mm. they do on the uphill because they find that there's a lot of pressure on the knees. So if you've got the hiking poles and you know how to use them, and there really is a technique, it'd be hard to explain it over the radio, but that the poles should always be supporting your weight. So if you're going uphill, the poles should be pushing you. They should be pushing behind you to push you forward. Right. Help with the propulsion. A lot of people put the pole out in front and, and walk up to it. Okay. And then move it out again so really they're they're just lifting the poles up in front right, but it really does ha- they, they do have a very good uh, you know a, a proper application yeah. absolutely and sometimes you'll see people in, even in towns not so much in Ireland because you probably get a, a slagging for it but I've seen it on the continent where people are out power walking and using the poles of course in Ireland probably somebody probably shouts at you you know you forgot your skis but, <laughs> but they actually do they, they, they really give you a good upper body workout yeah, as somebody's looking for some recommendations where, where boots are concerned, obviously you don't want to get into particular brands, but what should you be looking for? Um, you want, like I said, the the undersole, so the grip part of it is huge. And uh, if you think of the the lugs or the grips on it, you don't mm. want them too close together because the, the mud gets stuck to them. Mm. And once the mud is stuck in them, there's no grip anymore. They'll slide. So they should be further apart. That's actually a big thing. So the, they will grip, but the mud will fall back out again. So you okay. maintain grip. Um, and, and waterproof, the, the price makes a difference. Okay. The price does, you know, you, you, the supermarkets and different places will sell cheaper ones and they'll say they're waterproof and they're for hiking. But if you're doing a lot of hiking, you're going to spend a little bit of money. I think you'd be mm. very lucky to get a really good pair for under €150. Euros. Right. So often I'd say to people, look, if you have a birthday or Christmas coming up, tell people mm. around you, this is what I want and get people to give you some vouchers or put something towards right. it. Right. Well, by comparison with other things you might take up, that's fairly reasonable. It's not bad. Uh, it, for an investment, isn't it, it? It's not bad. And it's your, it's your number one big cost. Then your next thing is your waterproofs. And it's something we give out about the rain here in mm. Ireland, but mm. most of us don't have decent waterproofs. Um, so a good waterproof jacket and a waterproof pants. And again, the waterproof jacket will probably cost you over €100, Euros, mm. possibly two, or could go into the hundreds mm. if you really want to. The waterproof pants are actually reasonable enough. You'll get a good pair for about 50 Gore-Tex is, is probably your best waterproof. Mm out there and if you have those and then layers if you're going up in the hills you have to have layers again I saw a guy who was just after the lockdowns had eased and I was up um, Galtimore Moor and I had all the gear with me and mm. so, did, so did my friend and we stopped and had some lunch and, and you know, after 15 minutes we were cold and we came back from where we were just back up onto the peak there was snow on the peak and there was a guy there in a pair of classic runners jeans and a sweatshirt Wow! Yeah, and he had a face mask on him and it wasn't because he was worried about COVID I'd say he was trying to keep his face a little bit warmer like totally unprepared and it's boggy ground as well I'd say his feet were soaked so you you know you want to know where you're going prepping planning ahead is a huge thing it's so important isn't it I remember going for a walk uh, one of my walks with uh, John G and uh, in fact it was just above Clonmel here but a mist came down so suddenly oh yeah in a flash and I had no idea where to go absolutely so part of the planning is knowing where you're going. It's mm. have, having a map and having the skills to read maps. Yeah. Um, there are apps on the phones as well, which are great. Or make sure you're going with somebody who knows where to go. Because once that fog comes in, 
you're blind and you think you know where you you, you are. Yeah. You don't. You've no concept of distances and where the trail is unless you really know it by heart. You know you've done it loads of times. Um, and so that is a huge thing. So going with people is really important. People mm-hmm. who know where they're going, just don't just head off for a ramble in the of woods. Course, yeah. If if you head out and you begin to sort of suffer symptoms on that, well, what are the common ones, by the way, you know, where the feet are concerned? Where the feet are concerned um, or, or the legs in general, again, the knees take a lot of strain. The calves are working hard when you're on the hill. So if you're not used to it, you could notice your calves starting to seize up, the knees starting to seize up, the hips as well. They're the muscles that do most of the work. So if they're starting to seize up and you, you, you're going to want to um, take a break, stretch a little bit, pacing yourself is huge. So let's say everything else is safe and there's, mm. you know where you're going and everything. Pace is the key. A group of us did the uh, Stairway to Heaven in Enniskillen recently and we had a very mixed group, mixed abilities, yes. mixed experience. And everybody made it and everybody really enjoyed it because we paced ourselves. And there's quite a steep bit towards the end. You're basically climbing stairs for the last, it could be... 20 minutes to a half an hour, 40 minutes, depending on your, your ability. Yeah. But we stopped, you know, with the people that weren't so used to it, we stopped. Then you go again, catch the breath, go again. If you pace yourself, um, you'll be fine. If you don't pace yourself, if you push too hard, don't listen to your body, you could be asking for problems. I'm sure, indeed. Um, somebody asking about socks. It's a very interesting question, then, in fact, isn't it? Yeah, socks yeah. are important. You want warm socks. Um, generally, you want to bring a spare pair with you just in case things do go wrong and you step into you know, something and your your boot fills up quickly. A spare pair could, could make a difference. Um, but socks, I, my favourite pair, they're, they're a woolen synthetic mix. Wool, wool tends not to get too smelly too yes, quickly yeah. as well, which is, which is good. Mm. Um, there are socks you can get for blisters as well that are, are um, blister proof. And that's important if you're prone to blisters because if you get a blister on the hill, it's going to be very painful as well if you're doing a lot of walking. Of course, yeah. Somebody's saying um, every time I walk, I get chin pain. Is there anything I could do about this? Because I really enjoy walking. Yeah, that that means that their tibialis anterior, the muscle on the front of the shin, is too tight. It's too stressed. And uh, every time you go for the walk, then probably more so on the downhills, it's working harder to try and stabilize the foot. And it wouldn't it wouldn't take much physical therapy at all to sort that out. Uh, they could try stretching by pulling their toes away from their knee. Mm. Okay, so if you're pushing or pulling the toes away from the knee to extend the foot out and pulling the toes back, that that will stretch the muscle. And if they do that regularly, it could help. But but if you do get some physical therapy, some hands-on work on that, it releases it very quickly. Right, somebody else say, I recently had a hip uh, replacement uh, operation. I'm wondering how soon can I get back walking? Again, that's your very steady progression. So I don't know where they're at exactly now, but it could be walking around the house initially, around mm. the garden, walking uh, up and down the stairs if they have a stairs there. Slowly progress that into walking from the house. I'd always say um, in in the early days, if you've got to walk, walk a certain distance away from your house that you're never too far away and then back and then go past your house the other way, the same distance and come back. So you're always within a few hundred metres that if you get sore, you know, you don't have two miles or three miles then to walk back. Mm. So you're so you're checking it, you're building it up slowly. You do you do that one day, see how you feel that day and the next day before you go and do any more again. Because sometimes if you overstress your body, it takes a day or two for the soreness, for the inflammation to build up for you to realise I overdid it. Right. 
You always speak to us about hydration. I suppose where walking is, or hiking is concerned in particular, it's, yeah. it's very important. It is. It, and, and the time is important. If you're, if you're only going out for a walk for 30 minutes or 40 minutes, you're probably not going to get dehydrated in that space. But if, as you go to the hour mark and beyond, you're going to need to have some water, maybe some sugar as well of some sort, whether it's fruit or a few sweets, just to get the sugar and the water in together to stay hydrated. Because if you do get dehydrated or your sugar levels go low, you start to feel very anxious and you won't feel great in yourself and a little bit of panic can kick in. Whereas if you're well hydrated and well fueled, that you feel okay, you know, and you, you'll stay going. Mm. If somebody has on here about ankle pain, as well in one uh, ankle so is, is that common um yeah i get I, what you'd have to find out if there are no joint issues itself if there's no arthritis in the joint there's usually issues in the shin muscles so either the tibialis on the front or the peroneals on the side or the calf muscles um they're carrying us around all day most mm. of us have some tension there and we rarely get massages unless we've problems but if we release those it can make an incredible difference in a short space of time to the stability of the ankle the strength of the ankle and how good the ankle feels during mm. activity, you know. Mm. So that's I definitely recommend that if there's ankle pain, get something, get some work done, get it released and freed up. Whether you're hiking or whether you're just walking around yes, in general, course, yeah. and you have that pain. And the same with the knees, same with the hips. In a lot of cases, it's the muscle side of things. That's the muscles have just been they've gradually tightened up over years. You don't have to be doing anything excessive. Just gradually using the muscles day after day after day they start to tighten up and then they're not working properly they're pulling hard in the joints and the joints will get sore and then if you do anything extra you know if you work them a little bit harder suddenly everything is is as sore as a boil because they're just not ready for that activity mm. if you're pro- if you're prone to to pains and eggs i know that wouldn't be a a daily walk or anything, but any time I do go walking, um, I, I would have a lot of pains and aches afterwards. Would I you? Mean, yeah. Is that just because I'm not active enough? Is, can you can you saw through that? I suppose is what I'm saying. Do you yeah. Know? How long do they normally last? They, they last for Couple maybe a day or two. Yeah. yeah. That's what they call um, DOMS, delayed onset of muscle soreness. Right. And what what that means is that your muscles, as you said, they're not really used to working at that level. And the activity itself, because it's a higher intensity than you're used to, it stresses them. Now, it's stressing them in a good way, as in it's waking them up and getting them fired up. But they're they're not used to it. So for a couple of days afterwards, your body is basically healing micro tears in the muscle fibers and and reinforcing them. So you get get inflammation. Inflammation is the healing process. It's not the old idea was that we we have uh, lactic acid in our muscles for days afterwards. That's not how it works at all. Lactic acid only lasts for minutes to hours maximum. It's, It's inflammation. So your body is going, right, leave me alone. The muscles are saying, leave me alone for a little while now. I'm fixing the damage. I'm making you fitter right now. When this soreness is gone, go and do it again. And do it again. And when you that's do it regularly, you're yeah. fit enough. But but don't work through the pain because that's when your body is healing. Leave, leave it heal. Leave it heal. If you, if you were to go out for a hike once a week or twice a week, you would build up your hike and fitness. And the same thing applies to most elements of fitness. We don't have to do it every day to improve. In fact, it's the rest time when we make the changes, when we make the positive changes in the body. The exercise is the stimulation for building your fitness. The, the change actually happens in the days after. To mm. good nutrition and time and rest. Yeah. But nutrition, very important as well. Yeah, yeah. Because you're actually building a, a fitter body. We use the term bodybuilding for for the big, the big yeah, guys and yeah. girls, you know. But 
everyone who's trying to get fitter is bodybuilding. You're improving, you're building the fitness in your muscles and, and in your cardiovascular system as well. So you're building a fitter body. Very good. Liam was on to us and he's advocating that we use bridge dole socks. Are you aware of those now? I haven't come across okay. them, no, but I'll, I'll look them up, yeah. You'll have to. Somebody else with calf pain um, after walking. Yeah, I, I, again, it sounds like their calf muscles have too much tight, tightness in them already that there's, we call them knots, you know, but mm. it's a myofascial restriction where the muscle, it's all just seized up too much. And then when you do exercise them, you probably don't have as good a blood flow as you should have. So circulation is very much affected by muscle tightness. And, and by releasing that tension, the blood will flow better. The muscles will be able to stretch and contract with ease and, and, and they'll do what they're supposed to do. Hmm. Okay. And but at what point, Neil, are you doing damage, as opposed to sort of building up strength? You know, I mean, when 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 is the pain indicating to you that you're doing damage while you're out there? Yes. Um, yeah. If you've got a strong burn, a really strong burn, it means you're gone into lactic acid mode then, because it's just so intense that your body can't work aerobically. Uh, there's a lot to that. But mm. when, when if it's really hurting you. There's a difference between a challenge, God, I feel that a little bit, and there's a mm. bit of effort, mm. and really hurting you. You don't have to hurt yourself. Right. The, the no pain, no gain theory is it's not really how it works. Challenge, yes. Um, I love the yoga approach of, they talk about finding your edge, mm. the edge of your fitness, the edge of your flexibility, the edge of your strength, and just work at that a little bit. That point where it's, a, it's more strenuous than what you're, you're, you're fully comfortable with, but you're not gone into that level of agony, of pain. Mm. Um, that's too much for the body. So stay within that, but build it. Because as you get fitter, you, you can do more. So if we went out for a walk today and you found, okay, after 40 minutes or at a certain speed or hill, that's that's pushing me. That's fine. And that's that's as much as you do. Next week, you'll be able to do a smidgen more. The week after, a smidgen more, a bit more. And and, and what you did at the start that, that was difficult will be easy. You say, God, I didn't feel that at all. Because yes. you're bringing your fitness so up. So build it up and be, you build see, it up over yeah, time. too many of us go out and we try and become sort of, you know, marathon runners and marathon walkers uh, yeah. pretty much uh, immediately. How uh, will you ask, Neil, uh, the cause of stinging burning in your legs? While walking. Well, I'm not sure about that now. Just um, uh, stinging burning in your stinging, legs. Stinging is often that you, you could get it if you're if the blood flow isn't good enough for what you're doing you could get a bit but in a lot of cases it's nerve impingement usually mm. when you get a stinging burning sensation it's you're talking nerve impingement and and because the nerves that run to the legs run from the lower back from the lumbar area right down that that impingement could be anywhere from the lower back out through the the muscles in the hips the glutes and and in around the, the the thighs, so you could have some impingement there. I need a little more detail. So if they want to give me a call, you know, mm. talk them through it, they can. That's Speaking no of uh, the lower back, one of the listeners, when when he or she is walking, I'm not sure which, but it's the lower back that they find particularly painful. Is that? Yeah. Um, so the lower back is very much affected by the hips in general because I suppose your 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 spine sits on your pelvis, mm. and if the pelvis is tight or out of alignment, that puts way more pressure on the lower back so I'd love to know the condition or check the condition of that person's hip flexors the muscles on the front of the hip in around the hips and then into the lower back and see if those muscles are bound up and restricted and that's why they're getting overstrained mm. when they go for a walk versus somebody got that's got loose free fully functional muscles 
you know I mean there could potentially be underlying issues they could have disc issues but in most cases it's muscle first you know before you even come to disc problems it, it's muscle mm. tension that's the problem but it is fair to say that I mean if you are embarking on walking or hiking you, you can't if you're careful you're not going to do yourself a lot of damage generally yeah yeah, just take your time, you know, plan ahead, know where you're going, be fit enough for what you're doing. Now, that said, I've had I've had people go up uh, Schlievenamon and even the, the, the Enniskillen walk, you know, people that thought, God, I'll never do this. Mm. And once we paced ourselves, no, but they had support. There were people with them. They didn't just head off. And I was there with them, you know, and I have the experience. Um, but they were well able. And where it's thrilled to bits I mean the benefits of hiking it goes beyond the physical fitness the mental benefit the sense of achievement when you get up to the top of a hill and you get that view that it's the prize at the top it clears the hedge of the social side you're talking to people as you go it, it just I, I need it through the winter months in, in the summer I don't do as much funnily enough even though the weather is nicer because mm-hmm. I'm out and about anyway of course, yes. but in the winter you know you're, you're, you're inclined to be inside and the listener who was on about the stinging burning in the legs came back to say, down around my feet, uh, it's uh, particularly painful for me. So Down around the feet. Again, there could be circulation issues. So, you, yeah. you, you know, you'll get your, your pins and needles if circulation isn't good enough. But it could also be an impinged uh, nerve higher up that the sense, it's a referred sensation. It basically, the impingement on the nerve throws off the signal to the brain as to what's going off on in the legs. And you could get a, an altered sensation like burning. So it's it's either circulation or an impinged nerve, um, and without checking the person, I couldn't. Of course, I couldn't yes. really tell more. Um, somebody saying, "I've always worn runners walking, and now I know, now I know why I have pain." So yeah, runners aren't always ideal, I, and it depends on the type. Um, I'm a big fan of Asics Duomax runners because they have a, a good arch support in them, mm. and I just find that when I have the arch support in the runner, that I feel much better in a, in a shoe. Um, and there's a technique to running as well. Sometimes mm. people pound away, you know, there's, yeah, yeah, there's a yeah. technique. Tread softly upon the earth is what, is what I say to people. The softer and quieter you walk, the more anatomically easier it is. It's easier on your joints. You tend to use your muscles in a healthier way, you know, as opposed to just yes, bang, course, banging yeah. away and you're, maybe you're leaning forward and the head is there and the, the backside is around the corner as they say you know you have a better alignment and it's much easier on the joints and if you think of the thousands thousands is the wrong word millions of steps we take a lot of us are taking 10,000 steps a day without even mm. intending to yeah. so you, you work that out over, over years and, and decades it's a lot of steps so you want to it's a lot of steps, a lot of steps. indeed if people want to make contact with you how can they do that now yeah so the phone number is uh, 087-629-3727 Two nine and and I do guided walks, wellness mm. walks as well for all sorts of groups from so schools. So organisations want to talk to you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or even private groups. I, I I do walks with youth youth groups, special needs groups. Um, I've got active retirement groups. So you know, if they want me to take them anywhere in the county, I've got lo- lots of different routes around, and we we can Very figure good. out a route that suits. You you have an online presence as well. I do. Um, yeah. Highest potential. .ie and I'm on Facebook as well so they'll find me somewhere. Alright, well good to see you and happy birthday once again to your dad uh, Michael. Thanks very much indeed Neil for coming into us Thanks, uh, today. We're still getting a huge amount of reaction to our, our main story this morning that is about the arrival of the uh, uh, asylum seekers in to Cashel. It's something we'll be going back to on the programme again tomorrow. That's it for me. Emma produced, Ali was out and about for us uh, today and um, Stephen's on the way with uh, the uh, time I will talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye.
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 